And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. I'm Zach Rancourt, and with me as always is Mr. Justin Cavender. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Justin. Don't be crazy, Zick. It was weird not saying those lines. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was like, wait a minute. That's that's my saying. You know, Justin, you are the Vito Corleone uprising story, and I am the fall. That is Michael Corleone. We'll just we'll just we'll put it that way. We just mirrored each other. You are bit. my Fredo. <laughs> Ooh, Fredo Alf- to my Alfredo? Michael Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be Clemenza instead and just eat pasta all day? Sure. Oh, cool. I love you it. You don't like pasta. That would be a lie. I but know. that's acting, I suppose. Acting. Acting. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm on that right now. I fucking can't stand the Holly I Flex. I know. You don't like her. Uh, yeah. Fanny. Fanny whatever. <laughs> I can't remember. What's the fake name she makes when she does a cell phone thing? I don't remember. Fanny Tootsmore, I think. I, I, <laughs> I love Holly. It out. I love her. I skipped those episodes. But uh, how are you? How, how's everything going? Good. Busy, busy, busy. I know. You sound like it, and I love it, and it's awesome. Losing my gut dang mind over here. Don't do that. Digital convention season is here. Oh, (laughs) boy. One right after another, and I am tired. But that's okay. You've been getting a lot of G.I. Joe figurines, right? I have, yeah. It's like Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's been fun. Not going to lie. I'm I'm just just beat. I think I I need a holiday. Ooh. Like uh, Madonna. Like Jack Black and Kate Winslet? Yeah. And, and Jude, Jude Law. His <laughs> <laughs> <Those> kids. <laughs> Plus two. <laughs> there you go. Um, so what are you watching? What am I watching? I watched The Black Widow there. Uh, my sister had surgery and she was uh, recovering. And her whole family went to the movie theater to go see. They went to the cinema to go see Black Widow. And so I just got it on the Disney Plus and we watched it at home <laughs> together. It was fun. We had a, we had a good time. And then uh, after that, I watched fucking Cruella and I really enjoyed it. It's like it's like total punk rock, man. I loved every second of it. I thought it was so funny and so well done. And uh, I'm glad I saw it. I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed Cruella. So would you say that Black Widow is worth going to the theaters for? Yeah, I think so. I think it was awesome. I think that her sister steals the show, mm-hmm. uh, Yelena or whatever. Uh, she was so funny. And then I think that the Red Guardian was also really good. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, Florence Pugh is like one of my favorite uh, actors. She's she's awesome. I loved her in her in um, Midsummer, and then uh, the WWE one when she was like a wrestler. She was Paige or whatever. That one was she was really good in. So. I'll have to check it out. You know, I'm not going to pay 30 bucks to watch it at home. I'd rather go to my local theater and support them. So Mm -hmm. cool. Well, um, you know, I borrowed your voodoo and I watched uh, Fast and Furious. Let's just say three through number eight. And uh, they're awesome. I really love the Fast and Furious movies and they're so cheesy, but they're just fun. They're so fun. And and, and it's stupid. And I suspended disbelief. I'm like, how the hell are they going to jump through these buildings with this car? Or how are they going to 
have parachutes on their car and land properly. And I didn't care at that point. I'm like, this is just a, a popcorn flick. And I, I absolutely love it. So wait, so I was, do I have eight? Yeah. For, no. You, yes. Yeah, you did. You do. You said you hated it. And I was like, what the hell? It has five stars and everything. And yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's on your list. It's it's in your your queue because I, I watch it. I was like, look at this motherfucker right here. He's talking all this shit. <laughs> he has it must eight. have been free. <laughs> there was a time when um, HD Movie Codes was doing like a free movie when you bought oh. stuff. And I bet that's how I got it because there's no way I paid money for that movie. <laughs> secretly sucks secretly you did you were sleep i don't even see it on this list (laughs) it's yeah it's there i promise i watched it i'm gonna downvote the shit out of this movie (laughs) so uh i watched that i watched she's out of my league i like that movie a lot except tj miller is uh, kind of a piece but he is funny in it and then i watched speed because on the geek legacy you guys were talking about summer blockbusters and i forgot how good speed was and it's really good I like it a lot. It is the best movie about a bus that will explode if it drops below 50 miles per hour. Mm. The one and only. Got it. <laughs> but we let's uh, let's get started because we've got a long show <laughs> sure. ahead of us. The um, airport. To... I've already seen the airport. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that wildcat behind the wheel. Well, I always say it wrong. It's not wildcat. It's uh... yeah, it's wildcat. Oh, shit. OK, yeah. I said sun devil last time. <laughs> oh, that's not correct. I got gum on my seat. Oh, gum. Gum. Um, and then Cameron's in it, too. Forgot that guy's name. But yeah, he's good. He's the, I've already been to the airport. And then, you know, who else is in it is hmm. the bus driver. Uh, he's got that crazy hair. Uh, yes. He he plays Victor Romero in Hawthorne. James is his name. Sam, the bus driver. Uh, Hawthorne James is his total fucking badass. He was in that movie, Heaven's Prisoners, I was trying to get you to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a total creep in that movie. His name is Victor Romero. And uh, whew, gives me the chills. He's such a badass, though. Hawthorne James. Check him out. Books. Check him out. Yeah. yeah and then uh, what's his name from Terminator 2? The main guy. Not the main guy, but uh, Dyson. <laughs> no, 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 Dyson. <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Plays the Dyson captain. Schwarzenegger. There you go. Yeah, Joe Morton is his name. Yes. And Morton Joe. He so. dies a lot in movies. He does. I feel bad. <laughs> we need a guy to die. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Jesus. It's more than sad. Sean Bean. He dies way more than Sean Bean. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, are you ready to talk about uh, this week's movie? I am. Let's do it. What do you all got? R- all right. So we are doing The Godfather Part 2 from 1974. This is in continuation to last week's episode of The Godfather from 1972. And this is available on Peacock. But Justin, I went ahead and I just bought the trilogy the other day because I love this movie so much. So it is Did on you get my it in movie. 4K. It is not available in 4K yet. It, um, I the, know that the articles, <laughs> the ar- you because you always want everything. <laughs> no, <in 4K. laughs> I want 8K, baby. The uh, the articles say it won't come out until uh, 2022, and I can't wait that long. I need my Coppola fix now. So this film is directed by Francis Ford Coppola again. Um, he did Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, uh, Dracula, The Rainmaker, and Jack. Simple Jack. <laughs> I almost said Simple Jack. <laughs> um, it is written by Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzzo. This movie stars Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, John Cazale, Lee Strasberg, who's amazing. He is fantastic in it. I didn't ask who gave the order. I accepted it. Uh, Michael V. Gazzo and uh, Frank Severo and then Bruno Kirby. 
Mm -hmm. So let me open this little critical reception here. This is a certified fresh at a 96% on the uh, tomato meter there. That's pretty, pretty incredible. I've never really told that gave it a bad score. I don't know. Well, you know, so Roger Ebert did not like it very much. And so I don't even necessarily want to read his, but for what it's worth, Roger Ebert doesn't have that many good takes on films. A lot of his shit was, uh, I don't know. It didn't age well. I'll just put it that way. But you got a lot of good ones from Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I'm telling you people in Chicago don't like movies. It's like a thing. They hate them. It's weird. Yeah. Well, Gene Siskel. It seems like a stereotype, but I swear every time we check, that gotta go check the papers. The papers. Uh, the papers. It doesn't. It doesn't work out. If you're from Chicago, you you hate cinema. Well, his counterpart, Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune, said the new sequel to The Godfather, titled The Godfather Part Two, permits us a second look inside that room, inside that world. At times, the vision is as beautiful, as harrowing, and as exciting as the original. Yeah. Oh, so make me a liar. Thanks, Gene. I mean, but he's also saying at times. I'm like, I think the whole goddamn movie is beautiful, harrowing, and exciting. And it's incredibly complex and intense. But uh, yeah. Kevin Kelly from the Boston Globe says all the performances are fine, especially Lee Strasberg as a despicable Meyer Lansky hood, Diane Keaton as Michael's despairing wife, Robert Duvall as his lawyer, and Robert De Niro as Vito Andalini. So, uh, wait, what? Fine. They said said the word fine? Just fine, yeah. Some of these are weird. They say top critics, though. The Godfather, uh, Helen Frizzell from the Sydney Morning Herald says the Godfather Part Two is quite fascinating in its study of a migrant community and especially of power within that community. A mixture of horror, piety and wit. It is compulsive viewing, even if you feel like closing your eyes in some scenes. Um, here's a negative one. Joe ba- Joe Baltaki from the Philadelphia Daily News says Coppola's ambitious The Godfather Part Two is a slow, aimless, and annoyingly restless movie, which pr- purports to be about gangsterism, but is in fact about the boredom of waiting. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> so much so that it eventually evolves into the very thing it's about. Hmm. Maybe he didn't understand it. So it is quite confusing at times, but. And then finally, this is a negative one from Desmond Ryan of the Philadelphia Inquirer. The Godfather Part 2 really has no reason for its lavish existence other than the greediness of its makers. And that is the kind of avarice that the Godfather appreciates. Wow. Again, maybe maybe this wasn't the film for them. That's okay. So the budget was $13 million, which I might add was double was more than double for the first film because as we spoke about on the previous uh, podcast, Godfather Part 1 had a very tumultuous uh, kind of production. Uh, The studio was really pissed with Francis Ford Coppola. They didn't think he was going to make his his budget and his deadline, and he crushed it, um, and they thought it was going to be a flop. Turned out it was very, very successful, and basically after that, it was a a snip-snap, and Francis Ford Coppola was in very high demand for the next film. He got he, he he bargained with with the uh, studio and got a whole bunch of add-ons after this when they begged him to to make the sequel um, and he he got t- total control of the film which is really rare so that that's pretty awesome in the u.s and canada it grossed 47.8 million the opening weekend uh it did one hundred and seventy one thousand dollars, and in 1974 that's like a million dollars nowadays in 2021 money in, <laughs> in crypto so sure 
And then on uh, worldwide, it grossed $48 million. So very successful. Um, and this, I don't know how accurate these are in, in the sense of how this has been re-released, how the, the rights of it are, because I feel like it's always on AMC or, or TNT or whatever, right? Yeah, I think Paramount owns it, but I don't know. Really? Uh, what they're doing with it, yeah. Why is it on Peacock then? I don't know. I think they had a deal a long time ago. Oh, they're just chomping at the bit as soon as it gets over to Paramount. They're going to be like, we got Godfather. One and two, not three, though. <laughs> so <laughs> at least I thought that Paramount owned it, but I don't know. Be, I think you're right. So uh, we'll do some quick trivia. Robert De Niro spent four months learning to speak the Sicilian language in order to play Vito Corleone. I have a question. Do you say Corleone or Corleone? Um, I usually say Corleone. Okay. I say Corleone because... It, it just it, depends on, on how the... Like, like when, when, when they say it, uh, it just depends on... Like if it's like a dumb uh, senator saying the name or if it's... Uh, if it's like an uh, Italian person saying it, then it just depends how I want to say it. Like whoever I'm referencing in, in the scene is kind of how I usually do it. Like Tom okay. Hagen calls in the Corleone family, mm-hmm. but then you'll hear uh, other like mobsters say the Corleone family. So mm-hmm. it just depends. And Frankie, and Frankie calls him Corleone. So mm-hmm. interesting. Okay, well, in order to play Video Corleone, uh, nearly all the dialogue that his character speaks in the film was in Sicilian. So that's uh, really interesting. And he also won the Academy Award for Best uh, Supporting Actor. And he's the first one to win it in a non-English speaking role. In the entire film, he, you know, he has some English words, but it's, it's mostly. I'm going yeah, like, offer <clears throat> he can't refuse. Yeah, it's like 17 words in English or something. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, Francis Ford Coppola, having nearly fired several times having nearly been fired several times from the first film was given a Mercedes Benz limousine, a limousine from Paramount pictures as a reward for the record success of the Godfather and an incentive and an incentive to direct a sequel. He agreed on several conditions that the sequel be interconnected with the first film with the intention of later showing them together that he be allowed to direct his own script of the conversation from 1974 and that he be allowed to direct a production of the San Francisco opera also, he'd be allowed to write the screenplay for The Great Gatsby, all prior to the production of the sequel for a Christmas 1974 release. So again, I think he, he really cleaned up. He turned he turned that deal of, of the studio not being happy with his original work to a like, hey, we'll give you whatever the hell you want. You know, the, the whole kitchen sink sort of thing. Carte blanche. There you go. Is that when they walk around and like they have a cart and you can kind of pick things off of it? No, that's a la carte. <laughs> Production nearly <laughs> ended. A la carte is when it's like I know one thing at a time. <laughs> a la modi. You uh, don't want the whole meal. You just want the piece of it. Yeah, yeah piece meal. A la mode is like ice cream on top of it. <laughs> I know. I was Give just me that tacos a la mode, please. <laughs> Production nearly ended before it began when Al Pacino's lawyers told Francis Ford Coppola that, that he had grave misgivings with the script and was not coming. Coppola spent an entire night rewriting it before giving it to Pacino for his review. Pacino approved and the production went forward. Sounds like Al Pacino was being a fat fucking bitch for this film. Well, I mean, whatever he said, uh, it's you, you're just telling me right now that it's a great yeah. movie and one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah. So he probably said it's got a great script. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Marlon Brando was scheduled. And you to re- got your head <laughs> all the way up. It. Marlon Brando was scheduled to return for a cameo in the flashback at the end of the film, but because of the way Paramount Pictures treated him during The Godfather, he did not show up for shooting on the day the scene was filmed. 
Francis Ford Coppola rewrote the scene without Vito and it was filmed the next day. And I actually think that maybe Marlon Brando being in the scene would have taken away from the importance of showing Michael in his final solitude sort of thing. So I think I, th- I think the final scene worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Hyman Roth's character. Well, I mean, it would have been oh, interesting good. to see what his reaction would have been to him joining the, the Marine Corps. Sure. But we don't we don't know what that scene entailed. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was I, rewritten. I, I think I think the, the only issue with having an older Vito is in this one. Our Vito is Robert De Niro. So to see him as Marlon Brando, it's kind of like it, it kind of cheapens the experience for me. I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll never know because well, I don't yeah, see I the other version. <laughs> no, I know. I know. But I'm just I'm, I'm hi- hypothetically saying here. I think mm-hmm. I, I think the ending worked very, very well. But, you know, I digress. So Hyman Roth's character is loosely based on real life mobster Meyer Lansky. Lansky, who at the time of the film's release was living in Miami, reportedly phoned Lee Strasberg and said, now, why couldn't you have made me more sympathetic? After all, I am a grandfather. Lee Strasberg became ill during shooting, but instead of delaying production, Roth's character was rewritten to be an ailing old man. Huh. Okay, cool. This was the first sequel to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. The second, and as of 2020, the last, was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard of that movie before. It is also the only film with a prequel storyline to be nominated for Best Picture. All right, then finally, Al Pacino caused problems throughout production, demanding a massive salary and heavy script rewrites. He frequently complained about Francis Ford Coppola's slow pace, yelling, Serpico only took 19 days and threatened to quit. <laughs> okay. Wow. Jeez. Oh, I get it, but still, it's a lot, man. One of them prima donnas. I like Madonna. I'll be in my trailer. I know, seriously. <laughs> He's like, if you drink again, I swear to God, I'm fucking kill you. <laughs> Takes a swig of his whiskey. <laughs> God, I love that scene in that movie so much. Uh, yeah, his meltdown. It's yes. Good. Oh, it's so fucking good. I bet he experienced something like that in real life. Uh, Probably. Because he he did that pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was Caleb Dakota. <laughs> it's Deca too. <laughs> Pumpkin puss. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Poor Easy Breezy. But, anyway. um, all right. Well, yeah. So uh, let's 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 get this going. Then you want to lead us off there, Justin? Sure. Why not? So uh, we're doing a little role reversal here. It's kind of fun. I'm excited. <laughs> role play. <laughs> Race wars. <laughs> Race wars. Yeah. I'll be the dragon. That's going to be sweet. <laughs> the best dragon ever. <sighs> Are you ready? Sorry, I'm done. Okay, so the film begins in 1901 in the town of Corleone, Sicily, at the funeral of the young Vito's father, Antonio Endellini, who had been murdered for an insult to the local mafia lord, Don Ciccio. During the procession, Vito's older brother is murdered because he swore revenge on the Don. Vito's mother goes to Ciccio to beg for mercy, but he refuses, knowing that nine-year-old Vito will seek revenge later in life. Vito's mother then takes Ciccio or, excuse me, t- takes Chicho hostage at knife point, allowing her son to escape. And Chicho's men kill her. Uh, they search the town for the boy, but he is aided in his escape by the townspeople. Vito finds his way by ship to New York City. Uh, looks just like the intro to Perfect Strangers. It's amazing. There's the Statue of Liberty. Uh, you got Ellis Island and uh, Immigration. Uh, an immigration agent chooses Vito's hometown of Corleone as the surname, and he is registered as Vito Corleone. 
Ooh. Wow. Okay, so now we're just 11 minutes into this film. Does this beginning work for you or was it too slow? Oh, I loved it. Um, at first, I was kind of because, you know, it does start out. With, it shows Michael getting his hand kissed and then it goes to the whole uh, old Italy. And it gives you the the text on the screen of the backstory saying Antonio died. Um, the brother sought revenge. And then you see the you don't see the kid get killed. He gets killed off screen. Um, and just this mother losing a father and a son goes to this this dawn to beg him to not kill my my kid. And the Don is is like, no, you know, he's going to cause he's going to create revenge or he's going to be vengeful. I should <laughs> it's say going to cause a bad time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pizza, French fries. But it's it's so fascinating because, I mean, I think this keeps us going from the first one where we just know that the life of organized crime and the mafia is is so, so dark. And, and, and we we are not ready for it, especially the old ways where he's blatantly talking about no i'm I'm gonna kill this kid because he's gonna come kill me so it's uh, it's fascinating and then just the, the the brutality of of Vito watching his mother just get blown away at close range by that shotgun and then they chase him i mean holy buckets man i didn't think it was slow at all i was i was hooked i was ready and i mean even if even if you take a break between seeing the films you wait like a month it still picks up kind of in that same pace of of, of viewing that you liked so I absolutely loved it. I thought it, I thought it was great. And it was a very condensed um, exposition standpoint. Mm -hmm. All right. That's fair. Uh, in 1958, a, a scene similar to the opening of the first film, Michael Corleone, godfather of the Corleone family, deals with various business and family problems during an elaborate party at his Lake Tahoe, Nevada compound to celebrate his son Anthony's first communion. In his office, Michael meets with corrupt Nevada Senator Pat Geary to discuss the price of the gaming license for the hotel casinos the family uh, is buying, are buying, I should say. Uh, Geary, who makes his contempt for Michael and other Italian businessmen who are moving into his state to take advantage of gambling opportunities known, promises to make Michael's acquisition of his gaming license a difficult process. Michael ends the conversation with Geary when he refuses to pay the outrageous fee Geary demands, telling the senator he'll get nothing. Like, I'm prepared to give you my answer right now if you're ready. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you'll get nothing. And I like it. My <laughs> offer is my offer is nothing. <laughs> yeah. I want a hot dog? No. I want a hamburger? Exactly. Uh, so now we're 20 minutes in the film and not even scratching the surface of what's to come. However, I like the scene because Michael is a no-nonsense kind of leader. You know, what are your thoughts on this present-day opening scene? So it's interesting because the first Godfather film opens in a similar fashion with a giant party, but it's a, it's a wedding. It's an Italian wedding and a true traditional one where we're hearing the bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba ba da da that stuff. We're seeing lots of wine, lots of uh, love. Everyone's having a good time. And this is more of an Americanized, for lack of a better term, an Americanized party where that you got this big swing band playing. I don't know. I don't know what you'd call them, but this big band playing and it's mighty, it just, mighty boss tones. There you go. Never had a knock on wood. It's just very um, kind of out of character. They're also in Lake Tahoe, not New York. So while it, it seems similar, it's it, it's a mirror image, a juxtaposition to the to the opening of the first and you're kind of like, wait, Michael is 
is he a sellout? Why is he giving money to this to this senator? Is does is a senator in his pocket? But then we go into the office and you see Michael Corleone from the first film. You see him at the end of the first film, I should say, without skipping a beat. And it's he has that stone cold stare. He obviously knows how to to deal with people who are trying to wet their beaks, who are trying to take advantage of him. You know, he's like, why a license is $20,000, right? Then why are you trying to say I need to pay $250,000? So um, I I really enjoy how they make him that no nonsense kind of leader. Um, and it is because is this 58? When when did the first one end? Was that 52? Uh, so this is 58. Um, I don't know. It was around. No, it was. Cause she was saying that was like seven years ago when they were talking about in five yeah. years, they'd be legit. So yeah, sometime a couple years have passed cause the boy's much older. Yeah. So I'd probably say like 51 is when the first one ended, but, um, but clearly, you know, it's, it's again, I, I think this goes into what, uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted to do where he wanted to make it a direct continuation of the first one. And most of the critics and, and things you'll see is, when you watch these, there's a reason it's part one and part two. It's it's like a giant play, like a six hour play, and you have to watch them in succession. So I think that is uh, that's really important. But did you have thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I like how he doesn't get mad. He doesn't show any real emotion other than, you know, the, the senator is not permitted to speak ill of his family. You know, he turns the situation around on Gary and, you know, Michael does inform him that not only will you get nothing, but you're going to pay the licensing fee, which I thought was pretty, oh, yeah. that's pretty boss. <laughs> that's a pretty boss move. I dug that. And uh, and I feel like it scared Gary a little bit, but he tried to hide it. You know, that's why he went and talked to, um, you know, the missus. So that was my thought on that. I agree. I think that's uh, that's important because you're kind of like, who the fuck is this Geary guy? And obviously, Mike M- Michael's ruffled some feathers along the way. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see yeah. what happens. He has a reputation for sure. So uh, Michael also deals with his younger sister, Connie, who, although recently divorced from her second husband, is planning to marry a man named Merle Johnson with no <laughs> obvious means of support and whom Michael disapproves. I don't he know this Merle talks- Johnson. <laughs> he also talks to Johnny Ola. Um, who is uh, Uncle Junior in The Sopranos. By the oh, way. I, you know, I've actually never seen The Sopranos. Oh, my gosh. I know. I what know. a bang! <laughs> <laughs> oh, after, after Sopranos came out, all you would ever yell is, oh, anytime something happened. <laughs> okay. um, anyway, so he talks to Johnny Ola, uh, the right-hand man of Jewish gangster Hyman Roth, who is supporting Michael's move into the gambling industry. Belatedly, Michael deals with Frank Five Angels, uh, Pantangeli, a business associate who took over the Corleone Capo regime, Peter Clemenza's territory in New York City after his death, and now uh, has problems with the Rosado brothers, who are backed by Roth. Uh, Pantangeli leaves abruptly after telling Michael, your father did business with Hyman Roth, your father respected Hyman Roth, but your father never trusted Hyman Roth. So, moving right along, nearly 33 minutes into the film, we're still at the party. It is, it is never ending this party. <laughs> Connie is a mess. Hyman Ross name is tossed around like a key player. Uh, Frankie Pantangeli is a bit of a mystery to us. He's, he's quite vocal and a bit of a scene stealer, if I do say so <laughs> myself. Um, I do feel, um, or do you, how do you feel about his, the introduction of Frankie 
Uh, are you stepping in what he's spitting, or do you find him to be a bit unsettling? Because he's he's kind of like that crazy uncle that uh, if you ever went to a wedding or a party, they're just fucking everywhere you go. <laughs> like you just always hear them. They always just make a scene. And that's Frankie Pantangeli to me. He's like that one that you're kind of like on the maybe line of inviting, but he's right. family and you get pressure from your family to invite him. And you're like, ah, okay, fine. <laughs> well, we'll bring a chair in for him. But um, yeah, you know, I didn't know what to think of him because he's a new character to the series. And fun fact, that was actually supposed to be Clemenza, but uh, the actor that played him had to back out like the week before. So they basically rewrote his character as Frank Pan- Pentangeline or Pent- God, Pentangeli. I always say it wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Pen- Pentangeli. Fuck, Frankie well, Five Angels. I'm just going to say Frankie no. <laughs> Five Angels. <laughs> it's Pentangeli. 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 Yeah. There we go. I'm not so good with the Italian there. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> no, I didn't, Framacho. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to make of him. I was like, he's really loud. I didn't know if he was drunk the entire time, you know, too much wine. And, um, I, I, the thing about these films is you can't really write off any character because they might come to bite come back to bite you in the ass and for how he started out compared to how he ended the film is a complete 180 um i think he was incredible and he was i mean there's a reason he won the academy award he he was absolutely or he was nominated sorry he was absolutely incredible though as as frank five angels and so i don't know it was um it was an interesting way to connect michael who's in this Lake Tahoe, bougie white people area, link him back to the old days of New York. Cause that's what he keeps saying. He's like, Oh, a can of peas. What's a can of peas? You know, I've had a gutter Ritz cracker on it. <laughs> so, give me some peppers and some sardines. But, um, I think it's, it, it's interesting. And you know, he's even saying it, is he related to them or is it just like, Hey, you're my brother sort of thing. Yeah. Well, so he says blood at one point, mm-hmm. but I think he just means Italian versus, uh, Jewish. Okay. Um, yeah. Because he is part of the Clemenza family, but mm-hmm. Clemenza is not in this movie. So um, that's just kind of how that works. Which also was really weird that uh, Chi Chi was like, he's like, oh, yeah, it wasn't a heart attack. He didn't die of a heart attack. Are we just supposed to lead? Is that leading us to believe that he was murdered or they just kind of went with that? They're like, oh, yeah, he di- he died off screen. Right. And you know who that Chichi guy is? He's, he's yeah. the, from Rocky <laughs> Con- Balboa. Condominiums. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use them. <laughs> yeah, he gets yeah. his day in the sun in Rocky. He's the, he's the same guy that uh, picks up Tessio at the end of the first Godfather. Yes. Yes, you're right. And he shoots the uh, the one uh, head of the five families th- through the through revolving the door. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He gets a it gets a shave before he does it. So, yeah. Um, y- you know, I cut. Two bits. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shaving a haircut. Two oh. bits. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a, it's a good way to connect him to the old ways. But um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to really make of him, and I didn't know if he, if that was going to be his only scene in it. I didn't think it his his role would evolve even further, and he'd be such a a um, cog in the machine. I should say. Right. Sorry. Rizzo, you silly girl. All right, so. Uh, later that night, Michael barely escapes an assassination attempt uh, when his wife Kay notices the bedroom window drapes are inexplicably open, which allows two unseen hitmen to spray the bedroom with bullets. 
Two hitmen are found dead, having been killed by a mole within the compound. Afterwards, Michael tells his lawyer and adopted brother Tom Hagen that the hit was made with the help of someone close and that he must leave, entrusting all his power to Tom to protect his family. Okay, so now things are starting to heat up. Uh, we have a classic case of whodunit. At this point, it could be anyone, especially after we see how Michael treats everyone. Uh, he has a condescending tone and a demeanor that many would find irritating. So, <laughs> so far, out of all the meetings Michael has taken, the only successful one was with Johnny Ola. Uh, that right there is a pretty big hint. Uh, who is this Hyman Roth? Frankly says not to trust him. Or Frankie says not to trust him. Uh, do you remember the first time you watched this movie? Were you, were you kind of lost? Because in The Godfather, we had this wedding, and it was a call for celebration. So far in the sequel, it's been nothing but bad news bears for the first 30 minutes. <laughs> Walter Matthau. Dying, getting shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a pretty stark contrast, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I mean, so I can't necessarily speak to the first time I saw it. I I, I, I saw this um, when Netflix had DVDs. I think I've said that, you know, to beat a dead horse on this podcast many times. But um, then I bought it on DVD, the trilogy, and watched it again. Um, and I really liked it back then. I didn't really love it until I saw it most recently because it's been about 15 years. So going through it, I'm like, man, am I that dumb or am I just that confused? Because it is a very convoluted uh, movie. And mm -hmm. I think that's what makes it so intriguing to me is it, it poses these unanswered questions that even to this day, I don't know if if they have answers to them. So you're talking about um, the the spray of bullets in the in the bedroom. I mean, without going too far into that, there is a question on the Internet out there. It's, you know, when Kay says that, Michael, who left the drapes open and then, you know, boom, he, uh, they shoot through the glass. My question is, who did leave the drapes open? Wouldn't you think that'd be something that you would notice before you go to bed? But it's clearly somebody setting up so they can see when Michael's in the house, but who was able to get into the house? And so I think there's a whole lot of a whole lot of unanswered questions or, or questions that maybe uh, Francis Ford Coppola knew answers to, but he just kind of plugged a bunch of shit in there. Very David Lynch-esque. And, um, and, and we were supposed to kind of figure them out on our own. But I, I was very confused throughout this film. And it does it doesn't start out happy. Like you're saying it's a, it's a very stark contrast. You're just like, geez, man, it's a, it's hard to be a Don. Everyone yeah. wants a little, wants a little piece of little something, right? They want some yeah. pasta formaggio or they want some, some money or like Connie who hasn't seen her kids in, in a week. She just wants to get <laughs> on the, while, like eight days. <laughs> yeah. She wants to get on the golden goose with Merle Johnson. Yeah. He's like, I don't know this Merle Johnson. So he's standing right there. <laughs> he's <know>. talking about <laughs> Can me, I get a drink? see him again. He'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> understand. Believe me. Rocco, <laughs> would you get him a drink? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Oh, fuck. It's, it's so good. It's just, you know, we're, we're already treated to such a performance by Al Pacino where it's exactly him in the first film. And you're talking a two year difference where he channels that. And it's just like, holy shit, without skipping a beat. So, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of bad news. And you're thinking for the past eight years or whatever, he's he's been dealing with all this. So he's building an empire, but he's obviously causing a lot of tension between people, even him and Tom Hagen, who was the consigliere, you know, he you can tell there's some sort of tension like when when Johnny Ola comes and he's like, Tom, will you excuse us before right. he's like, I trust trust Tom Hagen with with all my secrets in my life and stuff. It's like, if you don't trust him, why the hell or if you trust him, why the hell can't he sit in in this meeting? Well, because he needed him not to be a part of stuff. So he would knew that he could always trust him. That's true. And I and, and I it, it was it was to it was so there would be gaps and that he would know that if he knew any of the information, then he would be 
the bad guy. No, that's true. I mean, maybe that's a really smart play, but see, I didn't realize that until you just told me now. So I think this is such a dense film. I, but I didn't, I didn't grasp that. I, I was understanding oh. the way that I understood it was just that. Well, you're right. You're right. So I, maybe well, I, I, mean, didn't, I, mean, I didn't. I, that I, I, that's when he tells him, like, you know, I'm trusting you. Right. He's like, the reason why I left you out was so that I could trust you. You know, you you didn't have any of this information. So how would you be able to betray me? Um, and so now he gives him all of his power uh, to protect his family and to be the dawn in the event that something happens to him. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean, he he wasn't. He didn't tell Tom that ahead of time, which probably would have been very helpful. I know. God, <laughs> Instead, right. He's just like. <laughs> yeah you know, i've been living with you like half my life and now you're cutting me out that kind of sucks so and i think you know you ask who is hyman roth i mean i have no idea at this point i was like did i learn about that in human growth and development the, the right hyman? right so um it's it, yeah it was it, more of a general like you know we, we've heard this name a hundred times in exactly. the first 20 in, in the in the what's or 30 minutes into it but the first 10 was dedicated to veto but now uh progressing in an additional 20 minutes we've heard the name hyman roth several times at least a dozen times um and you're like well who the fuck is this guy and you know he sounds kind of (laughs) scary and um he is in his own weird way yeah well and and the thing about these films too is there are so many different names and you know it is hard to watch this movie without subtitles because i don't know So you're the one turning my subtitles on oh shit my bad why am i reading all these words i know this movie I don't know who a Costanza is, who a Santino, <laughs> who a Tessio, who all of them are. I'm just like trying to piece them all together. A lot of Dons, Don Fanucci, Don Roberto, like too many Dons. So yeah. Don Juan, but Don Pleasance. Yeah, exactly. But um, Don Knotts. Don Knotts. <laughs> Isn't he the one who's like, what are we doing here, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, Ariego's but Andy. So. Yes, I um I, I was I was somewhat confused, obviously, with each view and I get a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it, it still is pretty confusing. Sure. There's a lot going on. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot, a lot of what, what have you. <laughs> so uh, in 1917, we get another flashback. 1917, New York City. The adult Vito Corleone wa- uh, works at a grocery store in the Lower East Side. In the Lower East Side uh, <laughs> with his with his friend, Genko Abadando. Who is Carbone from fucking um, Goodfellas, by the way. Mm. Just throwing that out there. He's Adam Sandler's uh, yes. brother-in-law in Wedding Singer. Yes, that's right. Uh, the neighborhood is controlled by a purported member of the Black Hand, Don Fanucci, who extorts protection payments from local businesses. One night, Vito's neighbor and young a young Peter Clemenza asks him to hide a stash of guns for him and later to repay the favor, takes him to a fancy apartment where they commit their first crime together, stealing an elegant rug. So enter Robert De Niro, Bobby D. Spitting, uh, <laughs> splitting this movie into two timelines was an interesting choice. Uh, these days we have prequels. Uh, would you like to see this format of storytelling done more often, at least with sequels? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... If I was in the theater in 74 watching this, highly anticipated, I probably would have been confused because at times it it gets kind of ambiguous when you're like, wait, oh, they just did a time shift. And there could be some jumping around that you're kind of not really familiar with because we hadn't really seen this done very often. But obviously, as I've seen more films like Tarantino films and whatnot, the the nonlinear timelines have been incredible. And so with this, it's awesome to be able to see that prequel 
which mirrors basically, you know, the rise of Vito is the fall of Michael and where Vito's rise to power is all about protecting his family and, and doing right about for his family. He's very Vin Diesel in that sense. And then uh, the fall of Michael is because he kind of he he loses hope of family. He's 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 trying to save his family, but it just falls apart and the power just corrupts him. So I think it's very, very interesting. And it's a stark contrast. And um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I think it, it was a very interesting choice. And him and Puzo thought of that together. I mean, the book like you read the book, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't read the book, but the things that I was reading were saying that basically in the first book, a good chunk of that is the Robert De Niro story, the young Vito Corleone story. So that makes sense to add it into this movie, like spliced in. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say stark contrast. I said that earlier. They're two very different. uh, I mean, it's the times feel like they're parallels, but they're very, very, very different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I, I, I see, well, I, yeah, I read Stark Contrast. It was right in front of my face. That's what I like, oh, said it. And I thought of a stork. Yeah. <laughs> stork <laughs> Contract. You're in a big old baby. Um, <laughs> Eating a Vlasic pickle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, we've already seen how Vito's story ends. And we've heard tales of the old days. So now we get to see it, which is pretty cool. But, well, I, you know, I absolutely love the flashback scenes. I think old New York is a tough place. And, and people lived in fear because of Don Finucci. And uh, Vito learns uh, through Clemenza that if you want something in this world, then you simply have to take it. And I think that that's pretty cool. And I think it's great because for for what it's worth in The Godfather, we see Vito Corleone in in, in, in a good light, kind of. He doesn't really ever um, order a hit. He doesn't order anybody killed. He, I mean, I guess the horse head thing, but... He doesn't hurt anybody. He seems to be like a softer, nicer kind of uh, quote unquote good mobster, good godfather. And in this one, he is. We get to see all of that. You know, even when he gets laid off from the job, he's like, no, 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 no. I don't I, I don't need this stuff. You keep it. You've been you've been so gracious to me, all that kind of stuff. And all he wants to do is favors when he rises uh, when he's rising to power. He's like, yeah, you know, just if you ever need anything, you come to me. Um, so he, he's a generous God. But um he cares about his family. And then we get to see his first murder where it's like, he's finally getting his hands dirty and he, he, he exacts his revenge on, on people, but it seems necessary to, to his life, to the way that he wants to live his life. And so it's so interesting to, to complete his, his story. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really great to see that and beautiful set pieces. Holy, holy buckets. I mean, even old New York looked awesome. And I mean, I've been to little Italy in New York and it don't look like that. <laughs> I wish it would look like that. That'd be awesome. I'd be eating bread sandwiches on the side of the road. Like <laughs> Clemenza does a lot of garbage bags in New York. There are. They just throw them <laughs> on the sidewalk. <laughs> There's a lot of trash out there, but uh, yeah. some of the greatest food in the world, especially little Italy. Whew. I don't really like Italian food that much, but you know, you know what they say when in Rome. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the best in the city. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Try the veal. <laughs> Pass. Never in a million years. I know, right? So in 1958, Michael meets with Hyman Roth in Miami, and he tells Roth that he believes Frank Pantangeli was responsible for the assassination attempt and that Pantan... <laughs> now you got me saying it wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Frank Pantangeli will pay for it. Traveling to Brooklyn, Michael lets Pantangeli know that Roth was actually behind it. 
and that Michael has a plan to deal with Roth, but he needs Frankie to cooperate with the Rosado brothers in order to put Roth off guard. When Pantangeli goes to meet the Rosados at the local bar, he is told Michael Corleone says hello. And that's by Danny Aiello, by the way. Yeah, the gas as, man. <laughs> yeah. As, love gas. <laughs> as he is attacked from behind, uh, but the attempted murder is interrupted by a policeman. Fuck the police. Pantangeli <laughs> is left for dead, and his bodyguard, Willie Chichi, is struck by a car while shooting at the Rosados as they drive away back uh, as they drive away. Excuse me. Back in Nevada, Tom Hagen is called to a brothel in Carson City run by Michael's older brother, Fredo, where Senator Geary is implicated in the death of a prostitute. And Tom offers to take care of the problem in return for friendship in quotes between the senator and the Corleone family. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. And Michael explains to Frankie that it was Roth who tried to have Michael killed and that his father taught him to keep his friends close, but his enemies closer. Uh, he has to square away his um, this Rosado Brothers deal with Frankie to put Roth at ease. Uh, did you think that Michael double-crossed Frankie and allowed the Rosado Brothers to kill him? Because at this point, we had no reason not to. Uh, we had no idea who, the, who was really trying to kill Michael, especially since they said um, Michael Corleone says hello. Uh, and additionally, Roth is still a mystery. He's supposed to be this big shot, but he lives in a small home in Florida. He's old. He's dying. Nothing makes sense at this point. What say you? This is where the movie gets extremely confusing for me because when he meets Hyman Roth, and it's a great, great intro for Hyman Roth. He's just watching a, a football game. You're expecting this Hyman Roth to be in a palace of gold or something like that. And he's in a small little quaint home in Miami and his wife is making him a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> um, you don't really know what to make of him. You're like, look at this little frail old guy. He used to be an enforcer. What? You don't really understand. He's very soft spoken. Um, but in the, the world of organized crime and, and, and the Godfather movies, we're trained to not trust anybody really. So when he kind of confides with him that Frank is the one that killed him in the, um, or is the one that attempted to kill him and the Rosado brothers deal, all that stuff. I immediately was like, okay, I don't know if I can trust this Hyman Roth. I don't know what's going on. Um, I wasn't really sold on it. And so while I wanted to kind of believe him, I, I was like, I think Michael's up to something, but I, I can never get inside of his head. So I, I just, I don't know. Um, the it, 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 it interesting too, how um, the henchman said, Michael Corleone says hello, because that was actually an ad libbed line or an improv line, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but Francis Ford Coppola liked it so much that it stayed in there, but who would have known that it would have been so impactful to the story? Because when he does say that we as an audience are like, holy shit, Michael did make the hit, which further confuses why Michael goes to Frank and says, Hyman Roth tried to kill me. You're like, wait, what, what the hell happened? Who, how does this work? Um, right. so, so I, I did not know what to think about that. I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is the first time we get to see the Rosado brothers. I think it's probably the only time we get to see him in the film, right? Uh, I think you get him again at the end. Okay. Well, you, you don't really, I mean, you, you get, you understand why they have the beef, but it is very, very intriguing that, that he would have thrown his name in there. Um, and it does, it does pose other questions for you too. So you're like, Ooh, maybe Frank opened the blinds in, in, in the room. That's why he was at the house. So I think you're, you're automatically questioning what's what, which way is up, which way is down, that kind of thing. 
So, um, yeah, I, I think at this point I was I was rightly confused. I was properly confused. So yeah. and, was, that's, and that's fair. But and, and what's interesting is that uh, is, we should talk about Fredo because um, the synopsis gets over a huge detail. Michael was just talking to Frankie about finding out who the traitor in his family was. And then Fredo gets a call in the middle of the night and he's scared. Things aren't working out. And he's in over his head. Oof. You're like, fucking Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That motherfucker. Uh, and so you're like, oh, wait a minute now. Fredo is a bit of a dumb. So uh, we'll see I'm how that smart. Out. What, yeah. Mikey? I'm smart. I'm the older brother. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts, dude. I know. Um, oh, man. Yeah, so with, meanwhile. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Say. I was just going to say, with Fredo, it's you know, it's interesting because we as an audience, we see that and we're like, wait a minute. Now this is going to convolute it even further. Like who he's talking to Johnny Ola because that's what he says. But what kind of part does that have to play? What what role did Fredo play? It, did he set up Frank? Did Frank set up him? What the fuck is going on? What is he saying? You lied to me. All that kind of stuff. And I think there's so many unanswered questions. And and at this point, I feel like I need a scorecard or I need to write down things and connect some dots because it's just it's not making any sense to me. Um, but I like that. I really like that because this is not a straightforward film. It's one that you have to handle everything going on in 1958. And then we have to jump back to 1917 to see the rise of Vito. So it's uh, it, it's fascinating to see. But, you know, us as an audience, we're omnipresent and we understand that Fredo is up to something while Michael is playing, you know, gumshoe detective. Mm-hmm. You got the wrong guy, Flatfoot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so meanwhile, Michael meets Roth in Havana, Cuba. And, and at this time, um, when uh, the dictator Batista is soliciting American investments and the communist guerrillas led by Fidel Castro are trying to bring down the government. Uh, at a birthday party for Roth, Michael mentions that there is a possibility that the rebels might win, making their business dealings in Cuba problematic. Earlier that day, Michael witnessed a communist rebel kill a Havana policeman by detonating a grenade that also killed the rebel himself. The comment prompts Roth to remark privately that Michael has not yet delivered the $2 million to firm their partnership. Now, we are almost 90 minutes into this film, and one could argue that nothing's even happened yet. <laughs> but, that's, <laughs> but that's okay. It's all big picture stuff. Pieces are, are moving and falling into place, but it's hard to recognize for a first-time viewer. The Godfather Part 2 might actually be my first real slow burn experience. Uh, do you remember the first, your first slow burn experience? And if it wasn't this film, do you remember if the payoff was worth it? Not necessarily the first slow burn film that I can uh, that I can think of. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen plenty of them. A lot of like Aaron Sorkin films are like that just because of his his writing style. It's just a lot of heavy dialogue. Tarantino is also incredible at dialogue, too. So, I mean, you know, some of his older fi- or some of his um, other films can 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 be slow burns. They can have, you know, elements of some action in it. But you're just kind of like, oh, this wasn't what I was expecting. But um, The Hateful Eight, I think, is one of his better examples where you're just Okay, this is getting to something. There's a whole lot of talkie talkie, but uh, I want to see some. I want to see some double crossing. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that that happens quite a bit. Uh, same thing with um, right. It happens a lot. I'm just saying. For me, this was my first slow burn experience. Mm-hmm. I was like 12 when I saw this movie. Well, so, that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> 1992. You know, yeah. that was pre Pulp Fiction. That was that was pre Tarantino, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
my first slow burn experience was the Godfather Part Two that I can remember. Yeah, uh, obviously there are millions out there, uh, and they use they hopefully they're worth it. And for me, this one certainly was. But I just remember thinking, what the fuck is going on with this movie? <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely, you know, I saw this before. I saw those other ones for the most part, but I don't really know um, if it registered to me as a slow burn film. So I don't know um, if I can unequivocally say which which one was my was my first slow burn. But I guarantee there is something out there that it'll hit me one of these days and I'll go, oh, yeah, OK. Maybe I didn't necessarily realize it was when I was a kid. But I'll probably like, oh, yeah, I do remember watching, I don't know, the crying game or something like that. Uh (laughs) Some some type of movie, Deep Blue Sea or something. I I think what I (laughs) what I would consider a slow burn is a movie that you probably thought was boring the first time you saw it. But then the ending made it worth it. So as you're as you're watching it, you don't recognize it as a slow burn. You might recognize it as kind of just a boring movie. Like, wow, I don't know what this is, but I hate it. It sucks. It's boring. (laughs) And then something happens. And then there's there's a shift in in the dynamic and then all of a sudden you're invested Mm. and then it's like well i want all my friends to watch it and then they go to watch it and they're like justin what the fuck this movie is so boring (laughs) and you're like god damn it just fucking watch it you'll you'll like it relax yeah so i mean to me that's what a slow burn is and and you don't recognize it at first the only thing you recognize is that it's boring as fuck and that you know you wish you weren't watching it and then all of a sudden something happens and then you start to recognize that it all makes sense. It's all worth it. Right. No, I I, I grasp that. It's just I, I can't specifically remember something, maybe like a Schindler's List or something. But, you know, it's been so long since I've seen that. I don't know if I can say that that was the first slow burn film that I saw, but mm-hmm. it'll come to me one of these days. Let's, oh, just, say, let's just say Robocop or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That, movie, that movie does not let up. It, it's a uh, heavy foot, man. It's I know. Just, uh, full. They hit the NOS too early, Junior. <laughs> As it were. Double, double shift, or no, <laughs> granny shifting instead of double clutching like you should have been. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have me. You didn't even have your car. It's not whether you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Winning's winning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Fredo, carrying the promised money, arrives in Havana and meets Michael. Michael mentions Hyman Roth and Johnny Ola uh, to him, but Fredo says that he's never met them. Michael confides to his brother that it was Roth who tried to have him killed and that he plans to try again. Michael assures Fredo that he has already made his move and that Hyman Roth will never see the new year. Instead of turning over the money to Roth, Michael asks him to give, uh, Michael asks him who gave the order to Frank Pantangeli, or excuse me, this is a weird sentence. Michael asks him who gave the order to have Frank Pantangeli killed saying it wasn't him. Roth avoids the question, instead speaking angrily of the murder of his old friend Mo Green, which Michael had orchestrated as depicted at the end of the first film. So this is one of my favorite moments in the film. I was a lo- These two scenes, actually. So I love Fredo and Michael together. You can see how uneasy Fredo is during the entire scene. And John Cazell is just brilliant. Um, you know, he's, he's a man that uh, was only in five films, all of which were either nominated or won for Best Picture at the yeah. Academy Awards. Um, now, are you getting nervous for Fredo or are you hoping things uh, and are you hoping things will work out for him in the long run? Or are you more like, and eh, just fucking get rid of this guy? So, I mean, I, I definitely feel I'm, I'm nervous for Fredo. I, I really like him. And I think the culmination is like what we talked about earlier, the scene where he slumped over in the chair. You know, I'm, I'm your older brother, Mike. So um, 
and I was stepped over. <laughs> and I was stepped over. Yeah. He he's always got the short end of the stick. And I think this this scene is important because he says, you know, mom said she always told me I was left on the doorstep by gypsies. And and Michael loves his brother, and it's so sweet. He's like, you, you know, you weren't you're not a gypsy, Fredo. You feel so bad for him. He can't even control his wife. He has to have Rocco come and control her. Um, you know, I'm really nervous, Mike. Can I get a drink? He he's the errand boy. He's the mule. And Michael loves him, but he he serves one purpose in the family. And I think the ambiguity of this scene is so incredible because the proximity of both of them, the fact that, how do you say banana daiquiri? Banana, banana <laughs> daiquiri. The fact that Fredo's drinking, Michael's having a club soda, and he just has this stone cold look on his face of suspicion or love or we don't know. Something's working inside, inside of his brain that we are not privy to as an audience, which we usually are, <clears throat> but we are not privy to the information that's working inside of his brain. And so you're as unsure. I mean, we're as unsure as Fredo is about his fate in this. Does Michael know that he um, he ratted on him? Does Michael know about the Johnny Ola thing? Because he he definitely emphasizes, you know, Hyman Roth and Johnny Ola to him in the hotel. He's like, oh, I never met him before. Why would right. he say just those two names? I mean, I, I get, you know, that they're there, but it, it seemed very emphasized and purposeful. So I think the, I agree with you that this is one of my favorite moments in the film because you really get to see one of the last wholesome moments between the two brothers. And it could go either way. It, mm -hmm. it really could. And and I'm rooting for Fredo just because he's so sweet and he's so innocent, as Talia Shire says. Um I just don't know. Fredo knocks it out of the park. John Cazal is, is that is Cazal or Cazali? Yeah. Cause yeah. he, he knocks it out of the park and he is so fucking good in this movie. He's better than he is in the first one, in my opinion, but I'm just, I'm, I am hoping things work out for him in the long run, but you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I like how he's like, why couldn't we have been like this before? You know, yeah. like, he's always, he's never a part of the conversation. He's always got to go off and do some dumb errand. And here, here he just got to spend time with his brother and he loved him. And he um, and he even says he's like, you know, I hated you, Mike. He it's like a, a mini confession kind of. Yeah, at, he's at about that to point. he's about to tell him. Yeah, he literally is about to tell him. But then you know the the waiter comes over or whatever, and yeah. um, I know it's it's pretty nuts. And I really like that scene quite a bit. And when he when he says you know anybody I know, I don't think Michael was setting him up when he's like you know Hyman Roth or John Johnniola. I think it was just you know they've been to the house. You might have met them kind of thing. Right. But then right. he's like, yeah, no, I never met him. But then that'll come into play later. Um, you know, just a few minutes, actually. Um, but uh, the other takeaway from this, this little paragraph here was the conversation about who had Frankie T Pantangeli killed uh, because Hyman Roth's like, it was the Rosado brothers. And he's like, yeah, but who gave the hit? Yeah. It wasn't me. And then when he goes into that monologue, it's, oh, it's like my favorite part, dude. I fucking love it. And it was, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I made the connection between uh, Hyman Roth and Meyer Lansky. And mm -hmm. I only made that connection because of the movie Mobsters with like Christian Slater and Richard Grieco and uh, <laughs> Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. Patrick Dempsey plays Meyer Lansky and Richard Grieco is, um, is Bugsy Seagull or Bugsy Seagull rather. And um, they're best friends. And then when I learned uh, some point in my, in my, young career or film career about uh, how Mo Green was Bugsy. Then I was like, 
oh my god it all makes sense like it literally was like an aha light bulb light, kind light of bulb. moment um you know and then and it was while i was listening to this monologue that i put it together where he's like there was this kid i grew up with uh, he was younger than me sort of looked up to me you know we did our first work together you know we worked our way out of the street um things were good uh, we made the most of it during prohibition we ran molasses into canada made a fortune your father too as much as anyone i loved him and trusted him Later on, he had the idea to build a city out of the desert stopover for GIs on the way to the West Coast. That kid's name was Mo Green, and the city he invented was Las Vegas. This was a great man, a man of vision and guts. There isn't, there isn't even a plaque or a signpost or a statue of him in that town. Someone put a bullet through his eye. No one knows who gave the order. When I heard it, I wasn't angry. I knew Mo. I knew he was headstrong, talking loud saying stupid things. So when it turned up dead, I let it go. And I said to myself, this is the business we've chosen. And I didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do with business. Oof. God damn. Powerful line. Yeah. With a shirt open and everything. Oh my God. Taco meat. It's all aged. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Yeah. Like that is, uh, that is acting, man. I, I got, I like, I got chills just listening to that. It was a, a fantastic monologue. Especially since when he says, I don't know who did the hit. And when he says it was the Rosado brothers, he kind of looks, he doesn't look him in the eye. He's just like, it was the Rosado brothers. Very much like a child would be lying. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. But Lee Strasberg really, as soon as he talks about the Mo, he gives that, that monologue, the Mo Green monologue. It is. Oh my God. He is basically him saying, confessing to Michael being like, fuck you right to your face. I know you killed him, but I'm going to, but I know that this is just business sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, I absolutely love this scene and, and we're treated to so many moments like this in this movie. We're treated to so many cool monologues and moments that you can pause and you can analyze and sit for and talk for 30 minutes about what did this mean? What was going on in each other's heads? Does Michael know that Hyman Roth did it? And he, he confides that into Fredo, but it's like, if you're telling Fredo, but you also maybe know Fredo's in bed with Hyman Roth. Why are you telling Fredo? So I think, again, that's that just keeps compiling onto the confusion of this film. But it's so wonderfully done. And it's shot beautifully as well, again. Right. So but, he doesn't know. At this point, he doesn't know that Fredo's in on it. You th- do you think so, though? Yeah, yeah, because you you see the revelation. No, I know. Uh, but but I almost wonder if when he has that revelation, it's like, a, I don't want it to be true. I don't want to know that Justin was eating my Oreos, all right? But then I saw the crumbs leading up to Justin's bed, and I'm just like, motherfucker. Yeah. No, he. I, I don't think that he thinks Fredo's capable of it. Interesting. See, because I think that he doesn't want to believe that Fredo's capable of it. Because even watching it again today for the second time, that's more of what I was getting, especially from that the, the vibe when they were having um, drinks at the cafe, where he, that's, I mean... I don't really see him drink as much throughout the film, but I think that's why he got a club soda. This is just my theory. That's why he got a club soda is because he wants to see if Fredo will spill his guts when he's drinking. He almost does. And I think Mm -hmm. it was a ploy. That's why he's like, no, let's go. Let's go out. I know a spot, right? We're not going to have a drink here. Yeah. I don't think that he necessarily thought he was, you know, cheating him in any way. I think it was, maybe he's just going to say something that he didn't even know, you know, like just, uh, sort of fly on the wall. Uh, maybe he heard something, you know, mm-hmm. cause Fredo is just one of those guys that's so unimportant that maybe somebody would have said something around him to where he could have put something together. 
Well, without jumping ahead too much, the I knew it was you part. I mean, that's that's the reason I'm thinking it is because saying I knew it was you was kind of like I've always suspected something was going on. He doesn't say I knew. He says I know it was you. Oh, I thought and, he said I knew I knew it was you. No, I know it oh, was you. Okay. Because I, I, he, he gets so in the next scene that we're yeah. going to talk about is yeah. when that happens. Sorry, I didn't want to so, jump ahead too much, but No, no, it's fine. But he I, I'm I'm positive that he did not know that Fredo was in on it until he says something about Johnny Ola. Yeah. All yeah. right. So um I lost where I was at here. Okay, um, so at the, Michael yeah. Michael asks Fredo, um, who knows Havana well, uh, to show Senator Geary and the important American officials and businessmen a good time, during which Fredo pretends to not recognize Johnny Ola. You know, they're introduced to each other. So now twice Johnny Ola's come up and Fredo has said, Yeah, I don't know this man. Yeah, he doesn't he even knows. look him in the eye. He's just like, yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, hi. The most awkward exchange ever. <laughs> right. So soon after, at a sex show, Fredo comments loudly that Johnny Ola told him about this place, contradicting what he had told mm. Michael twice earlier, and he didn't previously know Roth or Ola. Michael now realizes that the traitor oh, is his geez. own brother and dispatches his bodyguard, Busetta, to deal with Roth. So the plot thickens. Oof. Johnny Ola is strangled by Busetta, but but Roth is in a delicate state because of his heart condition, is taken to a hospital where Michael's enforcer is trying is is shot trying to kill him. Batista's New Year's Eve party at the stroke of midnight um, or at Batista's New Year's Eve party at the stroke of midnight. Michael grasps Fredo tightly and um, by the head and kisses him, telling him, I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart uh, when the rebels attack and Batista announces his resignation. The guests flee. However, Fredo refuses to go with Michael, despite Michael's pleas that Fredo is still his brother and that it's the only way out. So that's some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, you know, Michael was unsuccessful in killing Roth. His brother betrayed him, uh, but the hits just keep on coming. Uh, Michael returns to the Lake Tahoe compound after fleeing Cuba, where Tom tells him that Roth escaped from Cuba after suffering a stroke and is recovering in Miami and that Michael's bodyguard is dead. Fredo is probably hiding in New York. Hagen also informs Michael that Kay had a miscarriage while he was away. Michael is distraught at the news and furiously demands to know the sex of the child. But Tom says he doesn't know. Michael is at an all-time low in his criminal career. Things just aren't working out. Are you sympathetic for Michael? Um, oh, it's a lot. Uh, I just want to touch quickly on on the the Fredo comments. You know that scene is incredible because that's you, you're right. You know whether whether or not uh, Al Pacino knew or whether or not Michael knew that his brother was in on something. Let's just for the sake of it say he had no idea that revelation that he has when he says, oh, "Yeah, Johnny Ola showed me." It's just kind of like. Holy shit. And the look on his face, his hands on his head where he's just like, I cannot believe that my brother sold me out and I can't can't believe what I have to do next sort of thing. So it's just it, it's heavy. It's just a lot. You're you're like, yeah, the slow burn, it's starting to um, emulsify and this is getting pretty insane. Um, and then the whole killing of Johnny Ola and then the the attempt on Roth. Um, who do you think sent the military to stop the bodyguard Bassetta from killing him? I think uh, Fredo would have Fredo's the only one that knew the plan. That's what, that's what I was thinking too. So, and I think when I watched it again today, I think that's when, when uh, Michael sees the guys walking through there, he knows that he's upstairs. Right. So they're like, mm -hmm. he's like, oh, okay, well that kind of sealed it for me. Um, so w would you have trusted Michael, even though he's like, you know, you're still my brother and it's the only way out. Would you have been Fredo and would you have like run away? 
<laughs> Probably. I know. It's it's just you're right. It's I can't some, imagine myself ever being in that position. But yeah, yeah there's no fucking way I get in that car. I'm like, just some, dick, dude. some heavy stuff, man. So, yeah. um, you know, and and this is an all time low for Michael. I'm just he just he just keeps coming up with some L's, man, some losses. And so I'm kind of sympathetic for him, but I don't really feel as bad because, I mean, you, you play a dangerous game, you're going to get burned and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So you play with matches and you get the horns. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Make like a tree and get out of here. But so I'm, I don't I don't think I can feel sympathetic for Michael. Um, he is trying to go legit with the hotel business, but it's also he's lived he's lived this life of crime. He's he's murdered people and. This is kind of the universe saying, hey, man, sorry, do not pass go. Do not collect $200 sort of thing. Right. Go to also jail. Kind of, he's also kind of mean, whereas his dad wasn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, his dad was kind of kind of a softy you know, in a weird way. You know, he did things for people. Michael, Michael has this way of, of, like I said earlier, just kind of being like a kind of like a pompous ass, you know, like you're doing it. It's my, it's my way or the highway. Whereas the scenes, the few scenes that we saw with Vito, he listens to people and then he gives his advice on how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Whereas Michael tells people the way it is. Yeah. Two very different things. So like, is he fulfilling his role as the Don or is he coming up short? Ooh, is that a short joke on Al Pacino? Cause he's short. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and, and I'm wondering maybe if the times changed and he needs to be a little more aggressive, a little more assertive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's, it's hard for me to necessarily say, but Michael is a very particular person. And I think the crux of this film and the whole idea of this film is his rise to power and his corruption of power um, are ultimately his downfall. So so I think he is is coming up short. He is demanding too much. He's not listening. He is very specific on the, the way he wants things. And he is not willing to to compromise or find the middle ground in certain situations. And so I don't think think that he is fulfilling his role as the Don. He's mm. pushing those other families away when when he could be going back to the old Italian ways and, and being legitimate. I and mean, he has too many skeletons in his closet to be legitimate. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> so, I don't think so. In the first movie, Michael even tells uh, Kay that my father's way of doing things is over. And even he knows that. Yep. So there's Michael trying to evolve, but it's not working out either. <laughs> He's yeah. doing it wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So so we're an hour and 50 minutes into this film. What is your opinion of Michael at this point then? It's really hard to like him at this point. I mean, you're just kind of he's so cold. He has a stoic look on his face all the times. Seems like he's never happy. It seems like, yeah, he cares about his children, but it doesn't seem like he necessarily cares about Kay. She seems like an object to him from just my opinion. And he. He just seems like a cold person who, I mean, Carrot Top couldn't even make him laugh. And Carrot Top is hilarious. So, <laughs> props. yeah, he's got all the props. So I don't know, man. Um, I think he just he he's a bad guy. I, I think at this point you're, you're like, we liked him in the first movie. It was kind of this. He, he's this Navy Cross winning Marine who did what was right for his family, but then, oh, he did some pretty dark shit at the end of it. So you're like, oh, okay, I like what, what he's doing. And now you're just like, wait a minute. I think you, you towed that line and now you're completely over it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you're not, I'm not rooting for him at this point. All right. 
So another flashback. In 1920, Don Fanucci is now aware of the partnership between Vito, Clemenza, and Salvatore Tessio, and he wants to share the profits every week. Clemenza and Tessio agree to pay, but Vito is reluctant and asks his friends to leave everything in his hands so Fanucci uh, will accept less, and indeed Vito manages to get Fanucci to take only one-sixth of what he demanded, which is $100 out of the 600 Immediately afterward, during the neighborhood festa, the Vito murders Fanucci in the hallway outside his apartment, and then he rejoins his wife and children on the stoops outside his apartment building, where Vito tells the infant Michael that his father loves him very much. Intermission. Cuts the black. <laughs> and I was like, woo-wee, what a, what a crazy flashback. And one of my favorite scenes, uh, walk me through your viewing experience. Where does this flashback rank for you in the Godfather trilogy? I think this might be uh, so I think the first the murder sequence um, at the end of the first film is the top for me. I think this is number two. It's just incredible. Uh, the contrast of of Don Venucci wearing white, you know, doing the whole grazie, walking around. Yeah, moving his hands up like, hey, look yeah, at me, yeah. I'm Italian. I'm Italian, <laughs> this is too violent for me. And, um, uh, the symbolism of the oranges. I mean, I, we, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about the scene. The music is incredible. The score is so goddamn good. Just the rooftop presence of Vito crawling over, um, looking at him, we are just as surprised and confused. Like, what is he going to do? Is he going to rough him up? Is he going to make a wise guy out of him or something? Um, but he, it's, it's it's so interesting to the contrast of this is Vito's first kill. And then this is and going back to Michael's first kill. They both had guns that were stashed. They both had to go to a certain area to pull it out. And they shot these people in certain ways. And that was their essentially rise of power. That was how they became double O agents. And it's, um, Oh boy. Yeah. I do remember even when I was younger, I was like, Holy shit. And then the intermission flashes. I'm like, Holy shit. Wow. It, it, it very much felt like a play. That's what this film feels like to me. And I think ever since you and I started, uh, we, well, when we started this podcast, um, when we did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I think that awakened this, this love inside of me for theater. And I absolutely love plays, man. I absolutely love when, when a film is like a play. And to me, this this works out just like that. Obviously, you know, they're in different set pieces and, and, and different areas and stuff. But I think that uh, just the whole idea of it and the the um, juxtaposed stories are, are so fascinating. But yeah, this is the, the murder of Don Finucci is is one of the best scenes in movie history. It's an, it's incredible, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and just the fact that he he just murdered this guy, took all his money, broke up his gun into like a million pieces and dropped it in pipes and stuff. <laughs> he just goes and sits with his family and he's like, oh, Michael, I love you. Yeah, he shot him three times, shot him in the chest, shot oh, him in the God. face, and he shot him in the mouth. It's, um, and it's what's pretty what's dark. interesting about this, too. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore because you can still see he's like breathing a little bit. And oh, his eyes are moving. God, on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he gets uh, he gets it pretty bad. And um so uh, I really like, I mean, the same thing. I, I like the, the, the religious uh, symbolism there. Like here's this, you know, our savior, you know, uh, it's literally going to be Vito saves this whole community from this tyrant. And now they all come to him when they have a problem, which is pretty awesome. I mean, it's, it's kind of in your face, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense. This guy is, is always a bad man. He'd been roughing up the neighborhood for years and they were afraid of him. They couldn't even walk down the street. They couldn't enjoy a play together. Um, you know, he was slapping 
uh, the community around, and now that's over. And and it's the worst kept secret in the entire neighborhood. <laughs> Seriously, everyone is like, <laughs> they're like, dude, this is the guy. He, I'll I'll do anything for him. You know, whereas Fanucci would take fruit from the the people, or he would take the jewelry, uh, take whatever he wanted. Uh, now people offer that stuff mm-hmm. to to Vito, which is a, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. You know, one is a gesture of gratitude, where the other is just flat out stealing and uh, intimidation. Do you think that Clemenza knew what Vito was going to do? I don't think so. No. Do you, so? Do you think that Vito stashed that gun because Clemenza he does say Fanucci is going to be in the restaurant alone and his family is gone from his place. Oh, yeah, I mean, I guess they might have figured it. Um, they might have planned something. Right. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's possible. So that makes sense. I, I, don't, and, I don't remember yeah. the the I don't remember the conversation between the two. I, I just remember at the at the dinner table when he's like, hey, I'll handle it. Yeah, that's the last conversation I remember with those two. And they just did a really good job of casting that actor who played Don Finucci where he just has a punchable face and, and right. you, you, you can't stand him. He he is a guy who wants to wet his beak a lot and he keeps threatening all oh, I'll sick the cops on you and you're not going to have protection. What fucking protection are you providing me, man? You're just taking all this money from me and um, and it, it, it's insane. And, you know, obviously the, the neighborhood is fed up with it. So right. he's one of those good riddance people. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. He he's on vacation, basically. So, um, yeah, it's uh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. I like it very much. Uh, yeah, it's one of my faves. So fast forward to 1959 in Washington, D.C., a Senate committee uh, of which Senator Geary is a member is conducting an investigation on into organized crime and the mafia. Uh, they they questioned uh, disaffected soldier Willie Chichi about his role as a button man in the family, but he cannot implicate Michael because he would never receive any direct orders from him. There were a lot of buffers, he says. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a button so, pusher. <laughs> yeah, the synopsis leaves out another key scene. Michael speaks with his mother about losing his family. His father was always strong, but asked, "Could being strong for the family cause him to lose it?" To which his mother replied, "You can never lose family." Hmm. I don't know about all that because <laughs> it's literally Michael that pushes everyone away, uh, mm-hmm. either by killing them. <laughs> Or just shut the goddamn door in their face. Jesus. <laughs> he is not good. <laughs> yeah. You should stay away from this one. He's not good. Um, he, so when he alienates we, himself, like that's that's all his doing. It's no one else except for him. He is the yeah. reason that he's alienating himself from everybody else. Yep, 100%. Now, with Fanucci dead, Vito earns the respect of the neighborhood and begins to intercede in local disputes, operating out of the storefront of his. Jenko Pearl Olive Oil Company, named after his friend, uh, our buddy uh, Carbone from Goodfellas, uh, which he manages as well as gives out favors to others in the community, such as uh, his friend's wife, uh, or such as a friend of his wife's, uh, Senora Colombo, uh, threatened with eviction. Vito intimidates her landlord into letting her stay with the reduction in her rent. And they get to keep the dog, which is great. Uh, but it's funny because that guy's like, fuck off, man. You can't intimidate me. And then he asks around and he's like, comes back. He's like a nervous wreck and he's <laughs> bumping into everything. He's all scared. Uh, Produce it by so five. Uh, ten, yeah. ten, actually. <laughs> so it's all starting to work out for Vito. 
you know, so young and early in his criminal career, and he's already doing favors for people and the community knows, loves, and respects him. This is literally their savior from Don Finacci, which is what I was just saying. And uh, I think it's cool as fuck, man. Like I'm, I'm here for it. And, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting because, you know, we've already met both of the characters before. We've already met Vito and we've already met Michael, but in just a few scenes, you know, De Niro's not even on screen that much in this movie. But when he is, his character is so likable and it's completely different than Michael, which I think is exactly exactly. Yeah. He just has this look in in everything about him. Like when he gets fired, you know, or laid off, he brings his wife a pair, and and that's all he cares about is just his wife and his family. He's not he doesn't share the news with her. She's like, oh, what a beautiful pair, and he gives her a kiss, and he's just a likable character. So. You, I mean, obviously no one should ever kill anybody, but the justification for killing Don Finucci, we're kind of like, eh, we're fine with it. You know, he's still, he's a likable guy. He's a handsome fella. And I I think he's going to do way more good than, than Michael would ever do in that situation. So it's, it's so fascinating to see that. And I love how they, they, they intercut, like, especially after that Don Finucci killing scene, when he goes and sits on the stoop and he plays with Michael, you're like, oh, on the nose, but you're, you're right. It, it, it's so interesting. And it's fun to have that funny moment in that where Don Roberto's trying to open the door. He's like, nope, nope, I can't have coffee today. Sorry, another time. I gotta go, I gotta yeah. go. And he, he just cannot leave because he can't figure out the freaking door because he's so nervous. So funny. It's so funny. But yeah, yeah I agree. No, I, I dug it. So when Michael appears before the committee, Senator Geary makes a big show of supporting Italian-Americans and then excuses himself from the proceedings. During questioning, Michael denies all criminal allegations against him, for, from the murder of Salazzo and Captain McCluskey back in 1946 uh, and to his business status of operating several gambling casinos in Nevada. Michael makes a statement challenging the committee to produce a witness to corroborate the charges against him. The hearing ends with the committee chairman, Senator Kane, promising a witness who will do exactly that. Frank Pantangeli, who did not die in the attack by the Rosado brothers and falsely believes that Michael had uh, tried to kill him, made a deal with the FBI and will testify against Michael. Tom Hagen and Michael discuss the problem, observing that Roth's strategy to destroy Michael is well-planned, as Michael will be indicted for perjury after Pantangeli's testimony. Michael's brother, Fredo, has been uh, found and persuaded to return to Nevada, and in a private meeting, he explains to Michael his betrayal. Upset about being passed over to the head of the family in favor of Michael, he wants respect and his due. Uh, He helped Roth thinking there would be something in it for him, but he swears he didn't know that they wanted to kill Michael. He also tells Michael that the Senate committee's chief lawyer, uh, Questat, is Roth's man. Michael tells Fredo, you're nothing to me now, not a brother, not a friend, nothing. And privately instructs soldier and button man Al Neri that nothing is to happen to Fredo while their mother is still alive. Okay. So back to Fredo. Walk me through the scene where Fredo is trying to explain his behavior. You know, what do you see in this scene? Everything from the nonverbals, the background, emotions, etc. What are your takeaways from this scene? Fredo's just so dejected. He's he's you know, you see him in that almost therapy chair just lounging back. <laughs> just laying back like and day at the beach or something. He he but yeah. he doesn't seem he doesn't seem relaxed. It's like a nervous relax, like fuck, you know, I messed up pretty bad there, Mikey. Um and I really feel so bad for Fredo at this moment. This is the part when he he just lets it out and he explains, you know, I was really mad at you. Um, 
and I was passed over. And he, of course he gets angry. You know, everyone thinks he's an idiot and he's, he's running these errands, but he's smart. You know, he, he demands some respect. Yeah. He's um, like, I'm your older brother. Mike, your o- you older brother, stepped Mike. Over. Yeah. He's like, that ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm yeah. smart. Not like everybody says like dumb. I'm smart. And I want respect. <sighs> oh my God. I love it. I, I just, so I, sad. Yeah. It is. It is so sad. Like while it might be like slightly funny at times, it's just, you, you feel for him and, and I think going into this, you know, Michael's already made up his mind. And I think that's the saddest part is because at the end of him saying that he just basically says, I don't ever want you around. You know, when I'm around, if you were going to see mother, you tell me a day in advance, that kind of stuff. You already know what's going to happen. I mean, if you've been watching this film and, and the previous film, Michael's up to something and he's probably going to kill him. So it's kind of just. It's it's so hard to to watch and it's so hard to watch multiple times, especially knowing how it ends. You, you're, I mean, Fredo is is such a sweet and innocent guy. I get it, but then also I'm going to flip a little bit now and look at Michael's viewpoint. Fredo sold out his brother to the enemy to to, to someone not as him, and and it could have cost him his life. And I I know you can try to play claim ignorance, say I didn't know that they were going to kill you, Mike. Well, what the fuck did you think they were going to do? Did you think they were going to kidnap him? I mean, that's that's pretty bad. Also, the fact that any of this stuff could have happened, I'm wondering what they would have promised Fredo in return for this information. I guess that's the biggest thing is you don't turn your back on family, right? You don't turn your back on family, Vin Diesel. It's uh, it's it's just fascinating. And so I think so much comes out during this this scene, and it is it's uh, it's really hard to watch, but you have to keep watching it because it's like a car crash, right? You just can't look away, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I really like how it's snowing outside. I like the 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 lake is in the view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do like how Fredo is is practically laying on the ground, like he's so just submissive to Michael. I think it's 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 pretty crazy. Like Michael's just standing there, you know, looking down at him because that's how he sees him, like as nothing. Yeah, and I think that that is crazy. Ugh. Exactly. Just them in that room together. I mean, you know, Michael's already made up his mind and it's and they they do a a wonderful job of setting this up from shit. I mean, even the first film, the line when he says, you know, I'm going to misquote it because I always do. But he says, don't ever um, talk about you're my brother. I love you, but don't ever go against the family. again." Exactly. He warns him in the first movie and then it unfolds like this. And you're set up from the beginning where he can't even control his wife, who's a drunk, who's obviously cheating on him. You just you feel yeah, so like bad making out with the guy on the dance floor. Yeah, fucking lady. You just feel so <laughs> bad for Fredo because it's like, can he ever get a win? Can he ever get something right? Um, he was doing well with Mo Green, but he was banging broads two at a time, cocktail waitresses two at a time, and he was fucking up. So, I mean, even his dad he's like, well, Fredo is a, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah. um. So I think this is the culmination of all of that. And this is when my heart sank and it's just like, oh man, you really, I, I don't know. Cause I'm already, I'm already like lost on Michael. I, I don't, I already think he's, he's evil, but I'm just, I feel right. so awful for Fredo. He even says, you know, like Michael's like, I've always taken care of you, Fredo. And he's like, taking care of me. You're my kid brother and you my, take care of me. Did uh, you ever think about that? Did you ever once think about that? And he didn't, you know, it's, it's, it's not in the cards. You're right. And that has to be, you know, just gut wrenching, painful for Fredo. Absolutely. You know, to see that. Well, and, and it's and unfortunate. 
he's right. And I wonder if Michael thought in his head too, fuck, maybe Fredo's right. But at the same point, he's like, I've already made up my mind. Yeah. You know, you don't betray your family. So it is pretty scary stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like, and you know, in English class, you learn like, you know, winter is a time of death. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. it's cold and it's snow, and you're like, well, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> Like if the literature ever taught me anything is that literature. winter is, is when it all goes to shit. So. Heavy back, sir. Heavy back. <laughs> yeah. You want a bunch of long hands <laughs> on crotch rockets. This is heavy back, sir. Heavy back. <laughs> oh, my Jesus God. Christ. Love the oceans movies. Well, one and three. Yeah. Two and pass. Um, okay. So at the hearing in which Frank Pantangeli is to testify, Michael arrives accompanied by Pantangeli's brother, Vincenzo, uh, brought from Sicily and whose presence causes Frank to recant his previous statements about Michael. When Pantangeli is pressed, he claims that he just told the FBI what they wanted to hear. With no witnesses to testify against Michael, the committee adjourns with Tom acting as Michael's lawyer, loudly demanding an apology. So how crazy is this scene? Vincenzo must be one scary dude to scare Frankie straight out of the hearing. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. And um, Pentangeline, he he does a really good job of, you know, oh, there's more people here than a baseball game sort of thing. And then yeah. he just completely shuts up as soon as he sees his brother. And I think, you know, his brother doesn't have a line in the film, basically, because, you know, he doesn't speak, he doesn't speak English, but still just the fact that he's there this is the this is a microcosm for the film where there's so much depth in this and and behind all this that we don't know that we're like what did what does his brother do what does his brother know is his brother like you never you never snitch you never rat on family all that kind of stuff like all these things clearly made um frank change his 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 tune and completely change his story you know under oath facing perjury charges because he's like nope fuck that there's no way I can do this now. I think that's uh, that was a really powerful scene. <laughs> that was a really yeah. powerful scene. Um, it just you know it, it makes me want to know more. But I think that's the beauty of this: is less is more. So mm-hmm. it's already a three and a half hour movie. Oh, I fuck it. I want, <laughs> I want I want I want five hours, baby. Yeah, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> so at a hotel room afterwards, Kate tries to leave Michael, taking their children with her. Michael first tries to to mollify her, but loses his temper and hits her when she reveals to him that she uh, her recent miscarriage was actually an abortion to avoid uh, providing another child into Michael's criminal inheritance. Oof. She also tells him that the child was a boy, further infuriating Michael. So this seems really hard to watch. I hate yeah. this scene. Uh, yeah. Michael's in a very bad place. Um, you know, do the math and tell me what you think is going inside, what's going on inside his head. Oh my God. I don't know, man. It's a, uh, it's a lot. The, the whole world's I, against me. <laughs> holy shit. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of um a lot of moments where I just I had that same exasperation where I'm just like, holy shit. You know, when he finds out that that Fredo was in in bed with Johnny Ola when he spills the beans at the at the sex show. Um this scene, uh when he um I mean, you know, towards the end when he has to make it the Fredo scene in the room, it's just there's so much going on. And so I he, he's in a bad place. You're absolutely right. And I, 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 I couldn't even begin to think what's going on inside of his head. It's just, it's, it's insane. So but isn't, isn't it interesting? Like, you know, back to the, if you can't spot the sucker in the room, then you're the sucker. Why are so many people dishonest with him? Like what, what has he done? 
he doesn't even stop to think about this for a second. You know, like his sister lies to him. His brother lied and almost had him killed. His wife, uh, you know, aborted their their child and is leaving him with and taking the kids with him. Like, how horrible must he be for all this to happen? And he doesn't even see it. He's on a whole nother level of crazy to where he doesn't even recognize that, that he is the problem. Well, and power can blind you. And I think, you know, I think a lot of them do it out of fear, uh, fear or anger for for him. I mean, his sister, you know, she knows that he killed Carlo. Oh, um, yeah, 100%. And so she's just kind of like, fuck you, Michael. But when 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 all, you know, when all bets are off and, and they lose mama, she dies. She's Whoa, just kind of spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. She's pleading. <laughs> she's pleading with him. You know, I mean, I just all these different things. And yeah, I mean, Kay, you can kind of tell she's a prisoner in that house. She just got shot at. It's not the life she wanted. She, she prom- Michael promised she'd go legit after, or he, you know, they'd go legit after five years. So I think there's a lot in this abortion scene is you're right. It's a very hard scene to watch, but I think it's really important to this because I think this is like, this is kind of what you deserve, Michael. No. And I won't go into the abortion aspect of that or anything, but it's a really intense scene. And she's like, I could never, I killed that baby. And I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> right. I know. Holy shit. You know, like she with, she's not even sad about it. She's like, I killed that baby. Like, cause I can't bring another, another you and your Sicilian vengeance and all this stuff. The look on Al Pacino's face is so terrifying. And just one of those looks that I don't know if I've seen something as good in acting as, as that in quite some time. It's um, it feels real. It feels very much like he is unhinged. He has completely gone beyond anything that is. Uh, um, he has no retribution after this, basically. So it's no redeeming qualities, I'll say after this. But holy shit, man, it's a it's a heavy scene. Mm-hmm. Very heavy. Weight has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, super he- super heavyweight. Heavy bikes are heavy bikes. Oh God. <laughs> You only know a little of it, huh? Okay, so in 1925, my goodness, this movie's still going. Uh, While visiting Sicily for a family vacation, uh, and for the first time in 20 years, Vito Corleone is introduced to his now elderly Don Chicho as a man who imports olive oil into America and wants his blessing. Uh, When Chicho asks Vito who his father was, Vito says, my father's name is Antonio Andolini, and this is for you. And he cuts the old man's stomach open with a knife, avenging the deaths of his father, his mother, and his brother. Uh, As they make their escape from Chito's compound uh, and his men, Tomasino is shot in the leg by one of Chito's bodyguards and the injury gives him a permanent limp. And Tomasino is the guy that can't get out of the car in the first Godfather movie. Oh, God, that makes so much sense. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, so he's the one that's protecting Michael when he's in Sicily in the first movie. Oh, Uh, I love that. That's when they go back. Yeah, so it ties it all back together. Okay, that makes so much more sense. That's (laughs) that's awesome. Okay. And that's why he's got like... (laughs) He just has so much problems <laughs> yeah. getting out of the cars because he got shot <laughs> helping his dad. He's one of those life alert necklaces that he falls yeah. and can't, can't get up sort of thing. Exactly. So uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, now, this is the last time we see young Vito. At two hours and 50 minutes, we are waving Arrivederci or Rivederci, Brad Pitt, <laughs> to Don Corleone. Margareti. Uh, Margareti. <laughs> are you satisfied with that or did you want more of young Vito? 
Oh, man, I think this was so epic. It was disgusting. I still am just like, holy shit, when he just guts him. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty like hard to watch. Pretty much. Yeah. It's pretty goddamn hard to watch. But I also am OK with it because he brutally murdered his his mom right in front of him. He was going to murder him. And this is kind of like, listen, you old fuck. I could let you die by old age, but I'm going to gut you like a, a Thanksgiving turkey. See? So or some uh, some linguine. No, you wouldn't do linguine. A tofurkey. A tofurkey. Like a mm-hmm. lasagna. We'll, we'll, we'll make it topical. But um, vegetable lasagna. <laughs> there you go. You get food poisoning from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm um, you know, I'm good with 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 this being Vito's end, honestly. Um, and I'm 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 satisfied with it because we we see the rest. And this was kind of the, the final piece that he needed um, to fulfill his arc. I think I'm sure there are other things in between, but I don't really care about that necessarily because this was the final piece. This is how we started the film and this is how we end his his aspect of the film. And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's good. I'm on board. So uh, back to 1959, uh, Carmela Carleone, uh, Vito's widow and the mother of his children dies and the Corleone family is reunited for her funeral. Michael still shuns Fredo. Shun. Unshine, <laughs> who is miserable, but relents when Connie implores to him, um, you know, like he's your brother. He's so sweet. Um, you know, he's he's you got you got to love him. Uh, so Michael and Fredo embrace. But at the same time, Michael signals to Neri that Fredo's protection from harm in effect while his mother lived is now run out. Oof. Yikes. Jeez. So Michael, Tom and Rocco discuss their final dealings with Hyman Roth, who you kind of forgot was a thing for a little while, um, who has been unsuccessfully seeking asylum from various countries, and he was even refused uh, entry into Israel as a returned Jew. Michael rejects Tom's advice that the Corleone family's position is secure and that killing Roth and the Rosado brothers for revenge is an unnecessary risk. Later, Tom pays a visit to imprison Frank Pantangeli on a military base and suggests that he take his own life in the manner of unsuccessful ancient Roman conspirators who in return were promised that their families would be taken care of after their suicide. So the tension is building up nicely. Uh, the Godfather films have a nice way of wrapping things up like a beautiful package on Christmas Day in the morning. Uh, that slow burn <laughs> that we talked about earlier is now just a raging fuck inferno. Like there's so much going on right now. Um, with the connivance of Connie and Kay, um, you know, oh, with the with connivance of Connie, uh, Kay visits her children but cannot bear to leave them and stays too long. You know, she's like, oh my God, he's coming. You know, you got to get the hell out of the house. But Michael arrives. He coldly closes the door in her face. We've seen that before. Um, as he arrives at the airport to be taken into custody, Hyman Roth is killed by Rocco, uh, disguised as a journalist. Uh, who himself is immediately shot by Ross bodyguards on the military base. Frank Pantangeli is found dead, having followed Hagen's instructions and committed suicide in his bathtub. Fredo is murdered by Al Neri while they are fishing on a lake. Um, and Fredo is saying to Hail Mary to help catch a fish because he had told that story to Michael's son, Anthony. You know how I always catch a fish? I always say Hail Mary. Oh. Um, so holy shit. Take a deep breath. Uh, Michael has truly lost his way. Taking down Roth, was, who was dying anyway, wasn't even worth it, and losing Rocco, uh, one of his most trusted soldiers in the process, and then having his own brother killed. You know, that's that's a dark and lonely path, man. Uh, last week, we spoke about Vito being absolutely adored by his family when he died. But if Michael were to die right now, he'd practically be all alone. 
you know, where did things go so wrong? You know, what could Michael have done differently to not end up sad and alone? I don't know. I think that's a that's a heavy question because that's you were talking eight years of a lot of mistakes and yeah. and, and lying. It's fucking and up, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's one path, and we always talk about honesty is the best uh, medicine, right? It's the best course of action, but. Yeah each lie will take you down a different path. And I think there's so much corruption here and so many other things that he's been doing, but it's heavy. It's a really, really heavy way to end the film because you're right. We have the slow burn and then it's like, wait, 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 slow down, slow down. This is too much for me. I want to get off this ride. What's the chair cheers? Yeah. (laughs) What is is the safe word? What is the safe word, please? Um, Real quick too, just about uh, Frankie and Tom's scene at the prison. I mean, so Frankie's a history buff. I mean, that interaction between the two of them is is one of my favorites uh, in the film because it's very much a, it took me a second to realize that he was foreshadowing what he was going to do. He's telling Tom how he's going to kill himself. And he was basically saying, you know, you, you, you got nothing to worry about Frankie five angels. I was just like, holy fucking shit. Frank just absolutely knows what's going to happen and what he has to do. And it is such an interesting way to do stuff. I mean, we also see that Tom is, Tom's pretty dark too. Um, you know, he, he was, he, he's a lawyer and all this stuff, but he has gotten his hands dirty for, for the most part. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot, man culminating. Well, I'll start with the Hyman Roth killing. I mean, Rocco going into that, knowing that that's pretty much suicide. That's, that's a lot to also ask for, for your, your, your main henchman. Like, Hey, I need you to walk up to this guy, like in an impossible task and shoot him knowing for sure that you're going to die. I mean, well, he said Rocco says it's difficult, but not impossible. So, but Rocco had to have known that he was going to die. Well, I mean, he could have said, I don't know about all that. I mean, (laughs) send the other guy, (laughs) but he was like, it's difficult, but not impossible. Oh, but, uh, I mean that, that, that went that way. And then, you know, I think they set it up very nicely too. how Fredo told Anthony about the, I used to say a hail Mary and I, I caught the fish. Like I'd say Hail Mary's before um, I'd catch fish and then it would work. And then you have that that scene and then you see Al pull the gun out and it is so fucking sad. The music just is that eerie that I can't even do it because I'm tone deaf on that shit. But the, the music is incredibly eerie. We get the shot of just Michael looking in the window with his head down and you know that he is full breaking bad at that point. He is just gone. He is he is not a Corleone anymore. For a guy who who preached about family and and respect of family and all this stuff, he's he's absolutely alone. Like you were saying, it is um, it's really hard to watch, but it is, oh my god, the crescendo! It is incredible. Right? It's like, have you tried sucking last mic? Because right now you're pretty terrible. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he has. He's a pretty fucking awful man. <laughs> right. So the penultimate scene takes place on December 21st, 1941, and the Corleone family is preparing a surprise birthday party for Vito. Vito's eldest child, Sonny, introduces his friend Carlo Rizzi, Connie's future abusive husband and betrayer of Sonny, to his family. Uh, They all talk about the recent attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, and Michael shocks everybody by announcing that he's just enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. Sonny ridicules Michael's choice, and Tom mentions how Vito has told him He has great expectations for Michael's future. Fredo is the only one who supports Michael's decision. Sal Tessio comes in with a cake for the party. When Vito arrives, all but Michael leave the room to greet him. The final scene in the film is Michael sitting by himself at Lake Tahoe in silent contemplation. That, my friend, is the end of The Godfather Part 2. What a ride. Yeah. So... 
I mean, before I get into my last couple of questions here, uh, one thing that I do think is interesting is that Fredo's the only one that supports him and that Michael doesn't get up. You know, he right there, he feels alienated and yeah. alone. Yeah. Which it, it's a time for celebration. Everyone's there. They're all happy. They're, they're all a family. But he's just like kind of pouty and cold in uh, at the table, which I think is so strange. Uh, but that's been him all along. That's just who he is. He's always done things his own way. Yeah. And, and he's, he, uh, he, he made up his mind. He's like, you know, I enlisted in the army. He's not, it's not even a question of, oh, maybe I should. He's like, well, I did. Marine I enlisted in the, in the Marine Corps, you know? And it's kind of one of those things that they're all shocked, but he, he's always been so set in his ways, it seems like. And I think this is such an important scene because we're like, oh shit. Well, in Godfather one, we were introduced to this. You're supposed to be a Senator, you know, college boy on your suit. He seems like an innocent party, but really he's been this way his entire life. And yep. it is, uh, very, very eye-opening and very important to do. So, yep. So, uh, what are some of your takeaways from this film series so far? We still have one more to go with Godfather Three, but what are some of your your big takeaways from this film series? I mean, I absolutely love these. I think that they are now, especially Godfather Part Two, is it's in my top five films of all time. I was blown away by watching this again and how dark, complex wonderfully shot wonderfully written acted everything it is one of those films that um you know they did it on the rewatchables which is a really fun podcast that i like but they talked about if there was like a a channel that just played the godfather part one and two on repeat like i would fucking watch it and i'm like dude Mm -hmm. i totally would too i would just leave it on the background and i'm making dinner and they're just cutting you know cutting throats and shit like that so it's um it's it's so fascinating and i think it's just such a staple in cinematic history and, and it's one of those ones that everyone needs to watch because you are right it's, it's a slow burn so i could understand how people could be like man i don't really i'm not really into this but when you watch one and two in succession and maybe not like right back to back but you, you still watch them close enough together it's phenomenal it's this incredible arc uh, of people and the family and heritage um especially part two where it just kind of deconstructs the heritage. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. I absolutely love the film series so far. I won't get into three yet, but yeah, uh-huh. absolutely so, love part one and part two. So what do you, what do you like most about uh, how this film was made? I know you mentioned the way it's shot and the acting, but it, what's, it, what's, what at its core do you think is like the, the, the standout? I think there's just such a looming, um, presence with, with the cinematography. So filming it in the dark really, or, or most of the scenes, you know, being dark really kind of helps because it's almost like a character to the film. It almost provides this way of you're watching it and you're like, well, nothing's ever safe. And I mean, they even use that as a play when when Vito gets his first kill and they show him in the dark, literally. Um, this is a dark underworld that we are not supposed to really know a lot about or not see the underbelly. Yeah. We're, it's not supposed to be romanticized by anything like that. And like Gordon Willis does such a great job of showing that. Um, but then you get to Tahoe, Lake Tahoe. And I mean, I've never been to Lake Tahoe, but I know that it's a resort area. I've seen beautiful pictures of it and it is a completely different look than their New York house. Um, even the clothes that they wear, like Havana, it seems a lot li- a lot you know softer and 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 brighter in the sense of um, dark suits. They're all wearing you know hats and and white suits and tan suits and polos and whatever because it's hot. It just seems more of a festive, fun area. Um, so I think the shifting in between those 
just really, really blend in so well. And yeah, I think, I think how it's just shot. I mean, again, too, when you go back to 1917, New York, you, I feel like I'm in 1917, New York. It's, it's just beautifully, beautifully composed basically. All right. That's fair. Uh, did you notice anything new on this repeat viewing? I know you watched it the other day and then you watched it again today. So in these last two uh, viewings, did you notice anything new? Yeah, just a lot of um, things that maybe Michael might have known before they came to fruition, before he came, there was a revelation of something. So, I mean, I'm, you know, like I said, about the standpoint of he knew Fredo had had something to do with it. Um, just the ideas of like when he looks at Al Neri after he hugs Fredo, um, when he forgives him at the funeral or whatever, you know, he kind of looks at Al Neri and you're like, oh shit he's gonna kill yeah. him um, don't kill him right now give him give him a few minutes but yeah, you know <laughs> give him a 10 second head start see so it's um there's little things that you keep picking up on and it's 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 a lot man it's heavy it's th- this is a film in my opinion that you need to see multiple times because there are questions that maybe can go unanswered or or, or demand a repeat viewing so and i'll go back to that drapes question like who left the drapes open i mean do you think it was fredo yeah, so let's talk about that for a second because that Fredo had to have had help because there's no way, two things. One, let's just say that Fredo opened up the drapes. That's fine. He had access to the room and no one would question him being in that room. Right. Right. But who killed the two men? Exactly. Wasn't Fredo. Yeah. Fredo was not capable of killing those two men. So someone else, maybe that was waiting by the water because they were found at the water. Maybe that getaway guy yeah. is the one that shot him. Do you want to hear a theory that I, I read? So it was Rocco. Rocco was the head of security. Uh, Rocco was the one that was uh, told to find them. He did find them and they had their throat slit, knew they were from New York. He's like, oh, they're probably New York guys and they're prob- their names are probably Larry and Mo. or I don't know. They didn't say that, but um, that also would explain why he was like, you know, difficult, but not impossible. He's like, well, you know, we got to tie up loose ends. I'm probably going to get killed anyways. So let me go do this and suicide mission to go kill Hyman Roth at the end. That's just a so theory you- I read. And I, and I was like, oh, okay, I could, I could probably see that. So that's my that's my theory. But you're absolutely right. Who the fuck cut their throats? Yeah, I, I was under the impression it was probably their getaway boat driver um, because they were found by the water mm-hmm. and they would have had to park far away and then, you know, make their way over to the compound. Uh, but then they would have been uh, murdered. Yeah. And like, you know, and the they other- were told not to kill him. So, I mean, uh, they, they followed orders and not killed him. So somebody else would have had to have killed them. And I think it was Ross men. Jeez. Yeah. There's like so many double crosses going on here too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a triple cross. <laughs> Can't triple snap. Stamp a double stamp. <laughs> Snip snap. <laughs> so so um, is there anything, I know this is a hard question and you'll probably just say no, but is there anything <laughs> that you can think of that could have made this film any better? Oh God. Um, a pee bucket maybe. <laughs> a pause button if you saw it in theaters but uh, luckily i have it um no I had the I intermission I yeah I, I don't think so man i mean i know that we it's it's hard to say perfect films but this is a damn near perfect film for me um so no i don't think there's anything that could have made this better all right so leave the gun and take the cannoli was your favorite line <laughs> in the first film which line was the standout in part two um let me just look really quick because i i got lost when we were talking i mean the mo green um monologue was just phenomenal and it's really hard to you know this is the business that we're in that sort of yeah, thing. this is the business we've chosen oh, yeah. god it's just i think that that sums up a lot of what the, the film series is is 
I don't care who gave the order. I didn't ask who gave the order sort of thing. Um, I like when Michael says, if anything in this life is certain, it's that history has taught us anything. If anything in this life is certain, if history has taught us anything, is it is that you can kill anyone. And I mean, that is so true. Anyone can be it. But okay, here's what I will say. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. That is a very hard scene to watch. It is very iconic. And it is, um, I think that's got to be my favorite line in the movie. Even though I thought it was, I knew, I knew you, I knew it was you. But uh, now that I know it was, I know. <laughs> I'd say that's my favorite line. Yeah, that's good. What about you? Um, mine is when he says, um, ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Uh, I know. Like everybody says, like dumb. I'm smart. Now I respect. Makes me so uh, sad though. <laughs> I know. I that. So that scene is my favorite scene. Um, between uh, in the current timeline. Um, but Don Fanucci's murder is my favorite scene in all of the Godfather. Totally. Trilogy. Totally. Um, and then, uh, but this, the, the, the Hyman Roth monologue, and this is the business we've chosen is probably one of my favorite uh, deliveries. Oh. So a uh, combination, all of my favorites come from this movie, but uh, it's, it's Fredo's conversation with, with Michael it's uh, the murder of Don Fanucci and um, Hyman Ross monologue. Oh, yeah. That's great. It. It, doesn't get, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. The music alone I in know. The, the festival is like so, so good. I have it on my phone. I play it while I'm like making dinner and stuff. It's so funny. I like the um the, the music after Don Roberto is like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. He's trying to like leave and stuff and they're hanging the, the sign and the music's just like way more upbeat. It sounds more adventure-y. Like it's it's such a weird dynamic shift. You're like, this movie is dark and now we're kind of happy, kind of happy. Da, 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 da. Like <laughs> it's uh it's so interesting. But yeah, I agree with you. God, the score is incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. So you said The Godfather Part 2 uh, is top five for you. Um, but where does the Godfather rank uh, in your all-time film list? Top five, top ten, top twenty, top one hundred? Where are you at? It's like Godfather six, and Godfather Part two is five. Um, oh, fuck, it's and it's it's so hard because I can definitively say my top three, but then it's I always say like four, five, six. What seven, is eight, your nine, What ten. is your top three? Give me your top. So three. the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I group them as one because it's really hard for me to put on just one of them and be like, oh, you know, I I, I love them equally. Do you have a favorite of the three though? <sighs> See, that's the thing. I, I love them equally, and and I would I used to say Return of the King, but then I realized, you know, like oh yeah, I used to watch uh, Two Towers before bed every night in high school and like, you know, for, for a few months. And so I could, uh, I, I could quote that, recite that the lines from Helm's deep. Um, and so it just was, uh, it's, it's really hard to, to pick. So I think I just put the trilogy as one. I know that's kind of a cop out. And if that doesn't answer your question, I'm sorry, but no, that's fine. Well, that's yeah. fine. So what's two and three. So two and three, uh, two is almost famous. And then, um, th- three is the dark Knight. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, I absolutely love the Dark Knight. It it meant so much to me, me being a huge Batman fan, and just I just remember I saw the movie three times in theaters, Justin. It was the first movie that I saw multiple times in theaters that I paid for by myself, and and still could have saw <laughs> With your more, own money. Yeah, you were running molasses up to was, Canada, and you made was, a fortune. I was selling papes, and um, I you know I 
I, I saw it and I, I still could have seen it more times. And it was one of the first times I saw a movie. I'm like, I don't want this to end. I, it could have gone on an hour longer and I would have been fine with it. So those are easily my top three. And then four and five, it's like, I'm like, I throw Creed in there. I throw Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, The Thing, um, Empire Records, Clue, like all these different ones come into play. But I think Godfather Part Two has to be in that now. And I think it's in my it's in my uh, four, five, six, seven range. And so I think with the Godfather one, it's the same thing. But these movies, you should see them together. Um, but I think part two, it's just so hard for a sequel to do what it did. And it's just such a near perfect film. And I think it slightly edges out the Godfather. All right. Do you think so? You know how you rank Lord of the Rings as one movie, mm-hmm. do you think that there'll be a time where you rank the Godfather one and two as one movie? Because you've talked about it a couple times that you have to watch them together. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason you are comfortable calling Godfather part two, it's own separate thing. But do you think with the rewatchability and just time goes on and maybe you maturing as a, as a, as a, as a film viewer, uh, that you could maybe one day lump those two as one movie as well, since it, they are so close and that it's a continuation of the story. Totally. So there is a cut out there that I haven't seen before, but it, I guess it's on, it comes on AMC sometimes and it's, it's uh, both movies spliced into one basically and in a more chronological timeline. Um, and so seeing something like that would be really interesting because, you know, it's like a five or six hour movie, but you're getting the definitive edition of what Coppola and Puzo wanted. And so in that sense, yes, I'll absolutely say I'll rank those as one, but I haven't seen that. So I don't know if it's, that's fair for me to necessarily say, but I'm almost certain that I would be like, yeah, I love this. Okay. Uh, final thoughts. Yeah. Um, I mean, I fucking love this movie, man. I think we've, we've talked about it for two hours now and it's, it's well oh, worth yeah. it. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible. A couple, we would be th- at the intermission if, if we were watching the movie, <laughs> I just killed Don Cavender with my towel gun. <laughs> I wouldn't have let that happen. I would have bought uh, yeah. it. You would have been like, why is this light out? But, uh, just real quick, our buddy Rob at Digifluid, um, just has a couple quick thoughts on it. I mean, he absolutely loves these movies too, but he said, Michael Corleone's, uh, he was Walter White 35 years before Walter White was Walter White. And I think that's a really, really good comparison to Walter White from Breaking Bad. Um, He's like, you're probably already recording, but I'll just ramble on my own because I love these movies. But God, the downfall and murder of Fredo, oof, it still hits hard all these years. And I agree. It's one of the saddest movie deaths of all time. It really is. Um, Michael clearly justifying it to himself, but I think he knows even in the moment that it's wrong. Um, That shot of him hanging his head just moments after the gunshot sound plays, like I was saying, what what a sad way to end the film. The moment of realization in Cuba that leads to it when he slips up uh, while talking and Michael catches it, how we as an audience are right there with him going, oh my God, no, if we've been paying attention. Did you notice too, Justin, talking about things that you notice on repeat viewings, the, the final scene of him sitting in Lake Tahoe by himself, did you notice his hair is gray? He has gray in his hair, I should say. Yeah. Okay. So are we led to believe that this is now years later? Yeah. And he's all alone. Oh, Louisiana like Conan. <laughs> sitting on a throne of lies <laughs> smell like beef and cheese but uh, <laughs> and then he says you don't really get movies anymore that take that much time and effort to lay out the groundwork that leads to such a terrible realization and with the absolute uh, certainty for 
foreknowledge of what it means that earned narrative character development payoff a bit of a lost art in more modern filmmaking and i agree it's hard because we live in a, in a marvel world and i like the marvel movies but you know it's hard to get these slow burn films like this um do we think that the senator at the party at the beginning of part two mispronouncing corleone was a deliberate commentary by coppola on historic passive anti-italian racism in america it's something that always struck me, but I've never looked it up. If racism is the right word, maybe discrimination would have been a better fit. Yeah, so. I think it was uh, that uh, Geary doesn't want to be there, doesn't respect Michael Corleone, yeah. and has no interest in helping him whatsoever. So I think it was more of a a uh, like a, a, a snarky comment of, I don't belong here with you people. Let's look the mentality that I got from it. So, I mean, totally very much a racist comment. I would say yeah. he knows his name. He knows who he is. He's been in this, in the state for five years already. It's um, it was just a, a, to throw shade and disrespect his way. Well, and I think, you know, even the party too, and Frankie represents that, that aspect of he's like, what the hell? I'm, you know, I'm canopies. I don't want that. Where's the, where's the wine? Where's the music? And it is just showing too that, I mean, centered Geary the entire time. He talks about these like these fine Italian Americans. They're they're good people and they're really close to me. But I got I got to excuse myself from this. You know, obviously he yeah, knows he, that because there's a conflict of interest and mm-hmm. yeah, he's exactly himself from the hearing. So I think I think there is some kind of play in there. Um, I don't I don't really know enough about it too much. I mean, that's why they focus a lot on the Ellis Island stuff too. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it, it, it it's well done if anything. And yeah. uh, I mean, should, they take they take his identity away. He's, his name is Vito Andalini. Exactly. But the, the, the old white guy with the stamp and, and pen says, OK, uh, Vito Andalini from Corleone. You are Vito Corleone. Yeah, he That's gives him he that calls name. Him. And he's yeah. just so, like, I mean, yeah. you asked me at the beginning, do I say Corleone or do I say Corleone? And it depends on the scene and who I'm referencing. If I'm <laughs> yeah. the old dumb white fuck, then it's Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm if I'm with the family, then it's the Corleone family. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just how it goes. And it's so it's so absurd. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I have a name. Use my name. Yeah. Cavender or Cavender? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Some Cavender like Lavender. What would you see? <laughs> Clavender? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, anyways, man letter grade because we just keep, I, i've talked i'm sorry i've talked a lot but letter grade a plus a plus 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 for me fucking phenomenal film i will watch it again very soon i'm sure it is just it's so good to me i i you have drawn me to this this world of violence and it's funny justin for a guy who doesn't like violence like you you sure do love all these gangster films <laughs> i know i know it's so funny i get to live vicariously through these bad guys you're like i wouldn't hurt a fly yeah fucking smash his face in with your <laughs> you foot motherfucker you yeah like uh i i watched good forget to mention that i watched goodfellas on friday love it and I just love that movie so much. Ooh, can I add real quick? So I know we did The Irishman um, a long time ago on this podcast. Boring. Yeah. And so, but what I really did is I really appreciated The Irishman more um, after watching this film, Godfather Part 2, again, because I, I get it. It's like, you know, at The Irishman, spoiler, at the end of it, he's like, he, he basically lives and he dies alone, just like Michael, and all for naught. I mean, he got power, he got money, he did what he needed to do, but what good was it? His his daughter hates him, his family left him, and that's how Michael is. It's um 
it's just this corruption that leads to nothing. And I think the Irishman was kind of like Scorsese's attempt for Godfather part two. Um, I mean, obviously Scorsese has made better films, but I really appreciated the Irishman more after watching this. Mm -hmm. So, but what is your letter grade? For Godfather part two? Oh, oh it's yeah. A plus. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love this movie. Yeah. I, uh, I'm surprised at how much I know it by heart, to be honest. <laughs> I must have watched <laughs> it a lot. Same with the first one. You know, I know the first one quite well, but um, this one's just so good. I, you know, I watched it uh, last. So two Saturdays ago, I watched it right after I watched the first one, because like you said, you know, it's uh, good to watch together you know, as a pair. And then um, I watched it again on um sunday i watched it again on sunday uh when i was putting a crib together and i i managed to put the crib together faster than the movie ended so that was cool i thought it was going <laughs> to defeat me but I, I was rock and rolling but they do speak a lot of um italian in the movie and mm -hmm. my head was not looking at the tv and so i'm like what what is it <laughs> it's just like as i'm trying to build this thing i'm staring at this tv and i'm just like oh my god i can't do this this is, this is not a <laughs> not a walk and chew gum sort of movie and so it wasn't working out for me but uh i had it on and i just was kind of refreshing my memory but it was more for just uh an audio experience versus a visual experience which is kind of a shame because there's so many beautiful shots oh in this yeah movie that i wasn't really able to experience but you better believe when it came time for don fanucci to to eat bullets i stopped what i was doing and i watched <laughs> loved it what do you have so. there uh real quick what, what did you like most about this film uh for me i mean i like the the two timelines i like how there are two very different uh stories going on with how two people are coming into power and one you enjoy and one you can't stand and mm -hmm. you know it Michael says something when he's talking with Fredo in Havana. He says, it's not easy being his son. And they're both trying to live up to something that they can't reach. You know, mm -hmm. never, never try to be someone else, be your own person. You know, I think you can have a role model and, and, and a mentor and you can learn from them. But I think if you try to emulate them, then you're only going to fail. You got to be your own person. You got to learn from your mistakes, which is something that, the Corleones are just not capable of doing. They make one mistake after another and they never learn from it. And it's okay right. to fuck up as long as you learn from it. And they never do. And it, yeah. it's tragic. Yeah. Ugh. Did you notice anything new on this repeat viewing? Uh, no, only because I was distracted with the, <laughs> the crib, which I finished. Thank yeah. you. And, um, but no, I, I didn't. And, uh, I take that back. I take that back. I realized something when you were talking um, uh, last week when we were talking about Enzo's lighter. You know, this is this is pre Bic era where Zippos were were it. You know, you had a reusable lighter and you had to fill it up with fluid and get new flint and all this other bullshit. Mm -hmm. But when Fredo uh, wanted a cigarette when he first got to the hotel, mm -hmm. Michael uses his Zippo to light a cigarette, and I thought. I was like, oh, man, does he still have the same goddamn lighter from, yeah. from the first one? And that's only because you mentioned it last week. Yeah. I would have never made that connection. It's really interesting. It's a it's a uh, a remnant of when he when he broke bad, when he, he started yeah. turning. It's just crazy. It's a relic, I yeah. should say. But yeah, fascinating. Fucking love it, man. That was that was fun. That was a, a fun episode. So. Yeah. So why don't you uh, take us out? Why don't you take us out? I brought us in. What? We're doing a whole role reversal here. All right. <laughs> 
Well, thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Thank you for sticking around. This was a long one. This was uh, almost the length of <laughs> half of a Godfather movie. <laughs> Intermission. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for, for this journey. We're almost done. We are two-thirds of the way through this this journey. And uh, we have the Godfather Part 3 next week, assuming that Zach wants to go that route. I'm okay killing it at two, <laughs> but if we want to do three, that's up to Zach. We uh, have remember to. to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us. Uh, I'd love to know uh, what you like most or what you can't stand about these Godfather movies. Um, I'm sure it's not a whole lot that you hate, because that, but you know you have 140 characters or so to come. Um, you can even tell us what you want us to watch next. Um, I'm super excited about what is on the docket, but we're always happy to sub in films if you got an awesome recommendation. Um, remember to check out the other podcasts that we have. Of course, there is the Geek Legacy podcast hosted by David, Randy, and me. We have lots of fun. Uh, we're changing the format a bit on this, and uh, I'm here for it. I'm excited. We have a, a pretty big plan uh, show coming up, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, can't wait to talk more about that. Uh, also, be sure to check out the Pixelated podcast hosted by Stephen K. James talking about the video games. And then we have the Escape Pod where we're watching Star Trek The Next Generation in order. Uh, we just recorded episode 18 and uh, it has been a journey. And the whole idea is we remember the show being amazing, but now we're starting to see that maybe it's possible it's not as good as we remember it. So uh, definitely check it out. Watch along with us. It's a lot of fun. Just remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening.